Yeah. 
You just heard the intro and outbreak of evil of from Sodom's In the Sign of Evil EP from 1985. This is a Record Metal Podcast International Thrash Series Part One. This is Mark, and this is Jason. Yeah, this is Sodom, the early years, and we also heard Persecution Mania there too. Get a little double shot, it's true. To kind of open things up a little, but uh, yeah, man, shrill cries. I was a little rusty, you know. I was just focusing on that first line. Oh yeah, it's I been, it's I been a it's been a bit. It's been a hot minute, but you get the you know the great opening, the 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 great chorus, shrill cries, angel dies, outbreak of evil. I mean, it's like you know you just, you fucking want to thrash along with that, but uh, some good typewriter drums. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, what you get with those two songs, and we'll kind of catch everybody up. I mean, you get this like iconic kind of hellish intro, you know, that's very of its time. Uh, that you know, you kind of they do like the warm up harmonics, some minor chord. Almost like a, a weird like black black brave murder day kind of tease with like the little minor chord <laughs> thing going on there. And then you a plodding, sloppy, fucking blackened thrash, you know, straight from Germany's like industri- industrial belt, you know. Yeah, um coal mines and venom worship. Yeah, I mean it's punk, DIY, no frills. Um, you know, for me, I heard first heard Outbreak of Evil from that Vader cover record. Um I, oh, yeah. do you remember that? Yeah, that, that was a, a, that was kind of a prolific. Uh, it had a great cover, better than any cover Vader had ever had before. Yeah, I know, I know. And then all the the stuff that was inside there too. There was like, a, wasn't there a Terrorizer cover? And well, okay, that was the first time for me because of like me being a few years behind you guys. First time I ever heard Possessed. You know, they did mm-hmm. Seven Churches or they did Death Metal. Two Terrorizer songs. First time I heard Dark Angel was on that. So it was like a pretty formative like cover CD for me. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyways, and then the first time I ever heard fucking Sodom as well. But, uh, you know, Witch Hunter's drums on Outbreak of Evil, I said they're a gift, um, you know, as is the primitive singular appearance of Grave Violator on guitars. So yeah. we'll talk more about those guys. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to do with the sort of opening of this is to pair kind of the two kind of the two sides of the Sodom coin, I guess, at the beginning of what you're going to get, because Outbreak of Evil represents kind of like phase one of them and then i think persecution mania you know the it's a good contrast with the more polished kind of catchy nature of the title track there you get you know frank blackfire we'll talk a lot about him you know he's more kind of metallic precise kind of guitar playing and uh well harris jones a producer too like this is the first record they actually had you know an actual producer not an engineer involved isn't here i think it's harris johns right uh i've got it written down here multiple times but um but yeah check that out but yeah i mean it's it's kind of like this duality of sodom right one of of kind of teutonic and and frankly all of thrash's most consistent acts um i think that's like the thing i i come away with 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 sodom do you figure it out what the the name is I no i'm still i i think i miswrote it once and okay. then let me look up it wouldn't be the first time i mean i'm known for my mis. it is harris johns yes johns? okay it's, yeah, it's thought... proper the rest of my notes He's like the guy, you know, creator, and he did a lot of stuff on like Noise, I feel like, Noise Records. You know, he was kind of like their, one of their in-house kind of guys that did a lot of production for them, I feel like. But uh, Well, he did an incredible amount. I mean, he did like stuff for like Amon Marth and... Oh, yeah, yeah, later um, on. Celtic Frost, could, Corner. Yeah, he was on... Um, yeah, exactly. Like, like Dimension said, Zero. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's got he? hundreds of things he's worked on. Like but, kind of all, um, all across the board. Yeah, we're back. This has uh, been kind of crazy. Yeah, like yeah, we're a little rusty. Um, 
I was just reminding Mark, it's it's been been almost like two months since we've sort of done this. We kind of did a little uh, vacation, a little summer vacation style, which as a teacher, I can kind of relate to. It's kind of nice every so often. Well, yeah, um, and, and I, you know, I completely uprooted my existence, you know, selling, yeah. getting ready to sell a house and moving three hours north to a 40 acre farm. And luckily, we, we didn't know if we were going to be able to actually record remotely. So this is a nice thing that Verizon decided to put out these boxes that I can actually get on the internet with instead of uh, having to, you know, go drive every time we need to get together. Sure. Yeah. And if, you know, if anybody, I guess, is like just discovering us for the first time, maybe through the rebel girls episode, or because you kind of heard about this international thrash thing through recommendations or whatever. Um, Cause you know, I think, I think this, our last thrash series got kind of passed around a lot, I think through some circles in a cool way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping this one does as well. And, you know, Sodom's a big band that maybe some, some people haven't checked us out before we'll check out, but you know, we normally try and do, you know, an episode or two a month. Uh, you know, there are longer, bigger ones. I mean, our last rebel girls episode, I mean, that could have been three parts really. It was like seven plus hours total, but we just decided to release it as one chunk and you could kind of listen to it as you, as you saw fit. And that was kind of a choice knowing we were going to kind of go probably on some hiatus. You know, I was heading to Spain and it was the end of school and you were doing these two houses, trying simultaneously to fix up two houses at once and move. And yeah, it's, it's uh, been nuts. You know, it's been a while. Yeah. Normally we, you know, we're known for seven and a half plus hour episodes, but <laughs> six hours. These, yeah. These might, uh, we might, you know, kind of like take our foot off the gas a little bit on some of those and do more yeah. digestible break- ones for people break Sodom up into two parts, you know, norm. I think at first I was like, ah, oh, we can do it in one, but there's, there's a lot here. You there's know, a lot Sodom. of music to hear too. Yeah. I mean, frankly, you know, one of the, the last things I wrote after persecution mania is that they're, they're really up there in terms of, pop, you know, being one of the, the most consistent acts and thrash. There's, there's no doubt about it. Like, you know, you could put them in the camp with like overkill slayer Testament, I mean, who's had a more consistent career, you know, outside of some of those bands of, you know, there's a couple, I don't want to say misses, but there's like some lesser albums, but they never really go in the toilet like a lot of the bigger thrash bands uh, did. And even some of their contemporaries like Creator well, and Look what Creator did with Renewal. Yeah. Like it's such a turkey to do that right after, you know, arguably Coma. one of their best albums, yeah. you know, Coma Souls. And, and uh, I just think destruction, that, yeah. I don't. They're they've kind of been off my radar for quite a while. The first, you know, handful of up until like Mad Butcher or something. I'm 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 on board with, but all stuff the other stuff's like yeah, but yeah. But but yeah, it's it's just you know, I mean, there aren't oh, there's a handful of bands almost on one hand that you can count and say like, and, and I'm not like in metal, but I'm just in like the thrash realm who didn't somehow in the '90s kind of go off course completely and then have to like either never find their way back or eventually find their way back. You know, like I said, you know, Testament, Overkill, Slayer, those are the ones that come to mind. I don't know if there's one that you can think of that I'm missing out of that. I mean, Sodom, obviously I'm throwing into that camp, but you know, I mean, Megadad, well, I'd, even, I'd argue Megadad, that the Testament fell off, you know, kind of had some falters there for a while. Yeah. You know, they I, were trying I don't know. out something new with like, you know, with the, was the gathering and like dog face God and some of that, yeah, I like. I think that stuff's just as like that. That stuff's like really good. I think um, I had a real problem like, with him doing death metal vocals. You did? I did. As being oh. a, a death metal guy, I huh. th- I thought like, what a waste! Like yeah. most most guys can't 
sing you know like the guys that stop doing death vocals do it do like really bad you know whatever normally clean vocals or whatever but he started to kind of integrate it more into things but it just it it really threw me off for for some reason I bet if you go back to some of those records a little, they hold up a little bit better than you think. But I mean, I get it. Like Demonic is like not a great record and it didn't have like Alex on it. So it's basically just, you know, um, one guitar. So it's pretty simple and pared down. But I mean, even like, even what Tom's going to do with tapping the veins and stuff, you know, some of the thrash bands, they either got lighter or, you know, they kind of put their, their foot on the gas a little into the heavier realms and, you know, that's interesting. Um, I do quite enjoy tapping the vein. I got plenty to say about that when we get to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, but again, like I think, and again, I'm not saying that Sodom or that Overkill didn't have missteps because I, you know, even Slayer, you know, with Diablos, I mean, that's like not like my favorite Slayer record, but or for even the, the, most the last part, one, they, they've tried to keep that course. certain aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. They, they tried to stay the course, you know, and at least like Testament didn't like try and get like, commercial to commercial you know what i mean that, that's i guess yeah. maybe what it's like they always kind of like you know kept their eye on the prize i, I suppose but um well, they fell into more of like the you know the big eight where yeah. they they were the other four you know exodus and overkill and them and i don't know who else we'd throw in there but uh yeah i mean so i guess just as like a, a little intro um i said you know never as big as creator never as comedically fun as tanker or as flashy technical as destruction the other, I guess, big three uh, of the big four German, you know, thrash bands. Mm-hmm. They said Tom Angel Ripper, also known as Thomas Such, uh, I think Such Such, um, is is the consistent. Shook. Pul- Shook? Is that how you? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Is the consistent pulse and quality control of Teutonic thrash? And I said perhaps the German equivalent of Slayer mixed with Overkill in terms of consistency. So Germany is really the natural place to kind of start our international thrash series as Teutonic thrash is the only well deep enough to stand up to America at times. I said, we'll return here probably more than once in this series, but Sodom is a fun place to start. So um, I think that Teutonic thing also, that whole scene influenced like the stuff we were into way more, like the the next layer of or next level of generation of extreme metal. Um, like there's so much Sodom and Sepultura as well. And a lot of yeah. the South American bands seem to really, they were the more aggressive sides of thrash as far like vocally. And cause it's, you know, it's borderline like, you know, black metal, death metal vocals more so yeah. than like creator is still more, a little more screechy. Um, tankard is, I don't, I don't really know how I would describe the vocals. Like yeah, yeah. they're not, they're not as, you know, uh, you know, guttural or, more the is extreme of, the of, of them. You know? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and destruction um, was just they had they had their own thing going on, but I think they're they're like the most really um like the most primal version of Teutonic metal. Yeah. They Especially never, in those early records. You yeah, know, there's there's really points where they, you know, depending on one of the 12 guitar players or it's, I think it's like six, but all the different random guys, like one, one dude's there one time and died of a drug overdose. And, um, but there's like these certain little hot spots throughout. And I think looking at or reading some interviews too, like figuring out, he actually talked a little bit about how the writing process worked and mm-hmm. how, like, cause with all these different guitar players, like, how does this, how does this work? Cause it's not really their band. It's really, you know, Tom's been the, the sure. kind of the he's the, the guiding force you know absolutely and really he came to arrangement and 
you know, lyrics and getting the vocal line and everything in there as well. So a lot of the guitar players would come in with riffs, then he'd turn them into Sodom songs. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so I guess to sort of open things up before we dive full into Sodom, um, you know, again, sorry for, for the, uh, the vacation, for those of you have been eagerly awaiting, um, we kind of, you know, we've had this, series in mind for a while i've kind of mapped a lot of things out it was just a matter of when when to pull the trigger and we wanted to get that patreon episode in for the the winning patron uh we got a lot of really positive feedback about rebel girls and we'll, we'll read some of that later um if that was a little light for you perhaps or wasn't uh, it didn't tickle your fancy you know here we are we're back i can't get much more meat and potatoes meddled than sodom so hopefully this is is good for you um what we're gonna try and do with the series i guess is you know, the last time we did the the American Thrash series a couple years ago, kind of during, um, I think right before COVID or right as, I, I'm trying to remember when, but I think it was in the midst of COVID when we kind of started it. Um, yeah, it was because I remember getting um, the, I think it was right, maybe right before, because like the shipping rates for the UK were really cheap. <laughs> and I was picking yeah. up a lot of records and okay. finding a bunch of the other ones from... Um, Having like getting those, uh, this maybe it was a little later into the stimulus check. I remember getting some of the like stuff I normally wouldn't have bought because okay. of its price. Yeah, I think it was that fall of 2020. So we had like gotten through the summer, and then I think we started the international thrash thing, like kind of, uh, or not the international, the American thrash thing, like right as like school was starting. I kind of remember like September, October. Um, but, yeah, uh, my, my, my mind is mud as far as time yeah, is concerned at I, this point. I remember weird, stupid shit like that. But um, basically what we're going to try and do is like a couple episodes of the International Thrash series and then kind of like a normal or two normal kind of like Requiem kind of episodes that are a little, you know, just whatever, whatever we're in the mood for kind of thing. Just we're going to break, break it up. So it's not this like monolithic, you know, seven yeah. months of the same yeah, yeah. style like we things. did with doom and american you know it's yeah. cool and it kind of has this monolithic element to it but i just i think almost for our own brains too just to give us a little bit of a break uh and, and some of this is going to require a little bit more moving pieces because we're, we're looking at different countries sometimes and mm -hmm. there's a lot of different things kind of happening there and so you know like for example um we're because we sort of feel bad that we took so long we're actually gonna be recording a, a patreon uh, exclusive episode probably in the next couple weeks um that's going to be part of the international thrash series now for if you're not a patreon of, at the end of this series we'll probably eventually release it uh, as a normal episode but we're gonna be looking at the dutch and uh, belgian uh thrash scenes and there's a lot of obscure stuff there and like i was, I was texting mark yesterday like just trying to track some of these things down to get the songs like, you know, ripped and find, you know, proper versions of them. It's a real fucking pain. And I've actually spent like two, two days on it and <laughs> two of the rips like on Mark's end weren't working, you know, like it worked, it looked like it created files. It said they were MP3s. And then on your end, it's like not showing up. And and so, yeah, you try to drag them in and nothing shows it's up so, for some reason like some it's of all, that stuff. there's different codecs and different software that you know is looking for stuff that's not officially licensed or exactly. whatever and like it, it, it's hard getting this because we're not getting rich on this this is no, a, a labor no. of love and the, the money that we do get from uh from donations and from patreon just goes to you know for our research for you know Books different bills and, and stuff and yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we're not putting like native ads and and, and actually we've 
I guess there's only it's only been a couple of shows, maybe three or four at this point. But um, like we're we're on our own server now, so we don't have to worry about people putting, you know, some type of medical device ads before our shows or anything. So we should yep. be <laughs> completely free to, you know, be the arbiters of our own content. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, thanks to Jordan Bondo, by the way, for that. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of like how we're going to go. So yeah, if you're, you know, uh, and like an episode like that, like part of the problem is I like, I even looked at some of those, they don't even exist. There's like no CDs for them. They were like releases vinyl in 1987 and it's obscure as shit, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Or the prices are so exorbitant. There's no way that we could track down like original copies. So it takes a while to put some of those episodes together. So I think kind of doing that will will give our fans a little bit of break, especially if you're not like a thrash person by nature. You know, you might be interested in the stories we're telling and, and stuff, but like that way you're not just getting inundated with nothing but thrash, you know? Yeah, I think that's a good way I, to I know go. Joseph Schaefer wants to be inundated with, with nothing but thrash, um, but not everybody does, you know? So... <laughs> Um, speaking of which, uh, check out his, uh, the new colony drop, um, album. So, um, it's cool, uh, that they're, they're putting together inspired a lot by our first thrash series. Um, he'll, he'll often say, you What's, know, is that out now or yeah, I don't know if it's out official. I know the vinyl is out, but he sent me some, some files and stuff like that, uh, to check out, but, uh, it might be on Bandcamp. I've been kind of out of it a little bit. I haven't really, I haven't bought a lot of new, new stuff. Honestly, I've been kind of just i've been my own stuff i've been spain and and kind of on a couple of other little expeditions i've been helping my girlfriend like doing like house stuff so i'm just kind of like kind of it's like mark i'm kind of like fading in and out of like you know like society here and there so i've listened like the new black braid quite a bit and a few other kind of new things but it's it's been kind of i don't know i need to devote some more time to it i suppose but uh yeah yeah the colony drop i mean he said like a lot of the stuff we like exposed uh, him too on that first kind of 10 episode run uh, we did with American Thrash was was a real big inspiration for him which is cool I'm cool glad. is he what's is he doing vocals uh, oh my god I don't want to say because I forgot <laughs> I can't remember I can't remember if he plays an instrument and sings or uh, yeah I'm pretty sure I remember he, he was telling us about it I think yeah I'm maybe before I'm we were doing the tribulation show or something but um, yeah I, I've got too much stuff in my head to remember things like that but, yep. Yep. but so uh, yeah, definitely check it out I, I was not prepared for mark to ask me that question so <laughs> i don't have an answer what kind of fan are you man yeah but speaking of patrons uh we'll we'll shout them out uh at the at the end too but we've had quite a few patrons uh over the last couple months um which is awesome because we haven't released an episode so like that shows the dedication maybe people are discovering requiem through some of these big episodes but um want to give a shout out to michael held um roop r-o-o-p i think i pronounce that groove um uh fripe person uh john burkhold and daniele petro uh so some international folks in there uh which awesome. is cool i love getting uh international support and um got a lot of cool letters and feedback on stuff that we'll read at the end of part one here or you know probably some for part one maybe some for part two but uh pretty awesome yeah indeed so if you aren't a patron and you want to sign up to give us some support because you like what we do you know go to patreon.com uh forward slash requiem podcast um 
and uh, sign up, you know, $5, 10 bucks a month, you know, something like that. It was awesome. And then you get exclusive access to a bunch of bonus episodes, including the one that we're going to do on uh, Dutch and uh, Belgian thrash very soon. So if you're a thrasher and you want to know a lot more about a bunch of fucking obscure bands, because let me tell you, there's some obscure shit that's <laughs> coming uh, coming down the pike there. Some some really cool discoveries, though. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk about some of them. But anyways. Uh, well, plus, you know, like, you know, with the... Um... Well, the strikes, you know, in Hollywood right now, we we are offering more entertainment than most we're streaming services creators. right now. Yeah, we're your content creators. So, yeah. like, we're cheaper than Netflix. We have yep. we have. I don't say we have more content, but we have better, consistent content than Netflix does, and yeah. we can go with you when you're driving, which uh, is always yeah, a, we're always a plus. We're instantly portable. Yep, headphones. Yes. Yep, exactly. Hundreds of episodes that you could. We've had. In, in the past, uh, people travel cross country just listening to the show. Crossroad truckers, man. That's our, that's our crew. <laughs> so, but you actually ran into a patron uh, on one of your recent uh, little expeditions, didn't you? I did. I was out at the uh, the wine or wine of gods, blood of gods. It's a, a wine event, wine and heavy metal event. Um, Ronnie Sanders on Instagram. He's one of our patrons as well, I believe. Um, yeah, had a great time talking with him, chatting about you know metal music and his he kind of entry points into it he's a little older than us by maybe exactly. i don't know he's maybe like four or five years older than me so he had a little bit different entry point but uh just absolutely loves all just you know he was he's more on your end of the um he loves discovering new stuff constantly he's like what don't you have like i it was just I, it was, that was one of the conversations we had and i was uh, just like oh, you know i just listen to old crap unless somebody really points it out or if it's like yeah i'm doing a decibel illustration They're like oh here you know check out this. we're going to be doing you know black braid or whatever it might be yeah, yeah. so i'll check them out but i i get so many promo things i don't know what to look at so i just go back to what it's feels hard. comfortable yeah, yeah i agree <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was it was really nice to be out there and he's a he's a hell of a guy it's cool when we we get to sort of meet fans and stuff like that. So, and for people that are longtime Requiem listeners, I got to tell this story because this is fucking cool. Especially if you're like an OG Requiem person and you followed like our our stories about how we met and all that sort of stuff. This is pretty cool. I don't know if you and I have really chatted about this, but um, so like Chris, the the esteemed Chris Dick was home for the summer. And unfortunately, Mark couldn't join us, but um, Chris, myself, Chris's wife, um, and uh, a fellow Patreon, uh, Luke Walker, um, we all went and saw Atheist and Cynic uh, down at uh, Mark's old stomping grounds, the Sanctuary in Hamtramck. Three blocks from my old house. <laughs> yeah. Got to hang out with uh, Kelly Schaefer. Uh, he's up for doing some stuff. So we'll probably you know plan on an Atheist show in the future and probably a Cynic show because um, um like Paul's down for, for doing some stuff with that too. It was cool. And nice. Jason Duda was there uh, from the into the combine podcast, my former student. Uh, if you haven't, if you want to, if you want a podcast that looks at new music a lot more, check out into the combine. Those are guys that are like 10 years younger than, than me. And so they're still, they're as hungry as we were 10 years ago. So like, you know, yeah. keep looking at a lot of new shit, but anyways, it was, it was great. And we're kind of standing there and it was right before atheist started. And I turn around, I'm talking to Chris and I'm like looking and I lean in on Chris. I go, Chris, is that Garrett? And he goes, and he turns around and he sees a guy named Aaron, uh, Klamer, Klamer, who yeah, yeah, Detroit or Grand Rapids guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
and yep. and Garrett's standing next to him. And I don't know if I recognize him. <laughs> who Garrett is? Okay, the origin story of Mark and I meeting, and we've told this story many times. And this is actually going to lead somewhere because this actually leads to Sodom. All right, so trust me, this story takes us to where we need to go. Um, I, you know, I I had met Mark, or excuse me, I had met Chris because he was working at the record store. I've told that story before, and obviously I knew what Requiem was, but at the time Mark had been out in you know kind of the um, you know, Pennsylvania area working for relapse and stuff. So Mark wasn't really around when I first kind of started hanging out with Chris, like the first couple of years. And so Chris, as soon as I graduated high school, uh, talked me into going to Milwaukee metal fest in 1997 that summer. Um, you know, it was actually on my birthday, I believe July 25th, 26. And, um, I was like, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm up for it. I have no, <laughs> no expectations and <laughs> fucking down and Mark fucking pulls up in your little Toyota. And that was the first time I met Mark and we got in the car and it was the three of us. And then we stopped in Grand Rapids and picked up some dude at Meyer named Garrett <laughs> and, uh, you know, went to metal fest, did our thing, dropped Garrett off. And I have fucking not seen Garrett since July of 1997. And here we are at fucking atheists. Like 20, kind of, 26 years ago. Yeah, I just turn around. There's fucking Garrett. And then like I said that and like Luke, who listens you know, to every episode, he goes, wait, like Garrett, that the origin story, Garrett. I was like, oh, you know, he goes, yeah, you guys talk about him all the time. I'm like, holy shit. So it was a really interesting moment. We took some photos together and shit, post some on social media. Those of you that follow, you know, us on, you know, Facebook. Well, I'll look, I don't know if I saw if I yeah. saw those or if I didn't recognize them, but yeah, you might not have, but it was, he's not on Facebook, so I couldn't tag him. So maybe I didn't, you know, maybe you just didn't know who that other guy was standing. Okay. Cause I'd recognize like, uh, I'd recognize Aaron. I saw him okay. at like an Opeth show, like yeah, 12 years ago or something. Yeah. But it was, it was wild, dude. Just, it's just weird to turn around and see somebody you haven't seen in 26 years, just standing at a metal show and you're like, holy fuck. So, well, but, it's like uh, some of these, uh, I've been doing some interviews for a book in the last year or so. And, um, I was talking with some guys from um, the two guys that started up Relapse, and I was like, oh. "Yeah, like we hadn't talked in Matt twenty, Phil. yeah, we hadn't talked in twenty-seven years." Or no, I was. It was like, "Can you believe it's twenty-seven years since I worked for Relapse?" You worked there, yeah. I was like, "Holy shit!" And they're like, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> yeah, wow. I know. I mean, I can't believe I graduated high school twenty-six years ago. I mean, that's kind of where where that's at for me because that was right after. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's wild. But just to know, like the the way the metal community works and stuff, like you know, seeing Jeff Wagner down in um, North Carolina, like we we've known each other since, I mean, since I was in high school. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Uh huh. I know it is. It's a it's a weird interlaced kind of community. But it was funny because I turn around, I I kind of was like, "Hey, are you Garrett?" And he just goes holy shit jason hundy and i was like <laughs> I, did, I can't believe he knew my name or, or whatever maybe from eclipse days or whatever he might have followed chris what, through, what's like, his last name do you remember fuck i not know is it pole or something i i don't know chris might remember but uh i just I feel like it's p-o-h-l oh is it okay i'm I, I feel like he did something for the did something for us at some point i don't remember really? now okay. i could be completely but it was uh but it was fun you know it was, it was pretty cool we took some photos and did all that but i i gotta say cynic melted my brain dude that was one of the coolest shows i've ever fucking been to like it was pretty transcendent and like um, were they doing focus in its entirety or something yeah they did all of focus and then they played some new stuff and the new stuff was like kind of like cool it was almost like trance like kind of meditative and and really it just brought you to a place that was very specific and um yeah, it was great. I mean, Atheist what, fucking killed it too. What so. did um 
What was he doing vocal wise? Is it was it the weird like he did that? Thing? But then uh, the I think the guitar player, the bassist, was doing all the death stuff. It was cool. So okay. like it worked really really well. Because um, that's my my big problem with that is I think Chris ended up getting he got like a it was like a the initial mix. Like yeah, a, the demo promo of it had the death vocals. On it was it. all yep. death vocals. Then we got that weird flanger thing, and I've always been wishy washy on that. I I've kind of grown to love it. It's its own weird. It's it's so unique. Like fuck it, you know. Just yeah. like everybody else is doing death vocals. So if one band wants to do something fucking bonkers, why not? You know. But uh, but it was cool. It sounded great. But anyways, yeah. So there you go. And the reason I bring that up is because for me, Milwaukee Metal Fest '97 is where I got into Sodom um, because. That's where you got me excited because you found uh, the sort of in the sign of evil obsessed by cruelty SPV uh, steam hammer mm-hmm. that a vendor was selling for like twenty bucks. You're like, holy shit, they got fucking Sodom! And I was like, oh, and you were you guys were on the lookout for like Sodom and Destruction records because those were really hard to come by. I think um, outside of the ones you guys stole from the record uh, the radio station, uh, some some uh, of them were in the trash, but yeah, most of them were yeah, yeah. gently acquired. Well, I, I stole, we stole some things. They were being, how about this? They were unused. No yes. one was, no one gave a shit about them. Yeah. We, we rehomed them. Exactly. But yeah, so it was, it was that same Milwaukee metal fest that like you convinced me to buy uh, the, in the sign of evil, uh, obsessed by cruelty on CD, you know? And, That's awesome. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I vaguely about, remember like, that. I didn't know anything else about German thrash. I was at a creator. Like obviously I yeah. was into creator by that point, but um, I didn't know. I had not heard destruction, I don't think, or or Sodom or anybody else and stuff. So, um, you know, it was it was interesting too because I think I think the reason you guys were like kind of getting into that is because you know obviously a lot of the black metal bands were name dropping that stuff, but also like I kind of remember like even like the Dark Tranquilities and some of the Gothenburg bands were talking about how they took a lot more influence from some of the the Teutonic thrash than they even did like the American thrash sometimes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and with, yeah, I mean, with the, the second wave of um, black metal coming out too, it was just like, I remember it was, it was tough to find that. Like I remember finding, you know, always hearing about Bathory, then finding Bathory, but it wasn't the first record. It was only you know, the Jubileum part two or something like it was yeah. really hard to find any of these other bands. And then like when that stuff, um, I started, some of that stuff started coming through the relapse mail order when I was down there too. Yeah, And okay. it was, okay. yeah, it was just like, finally we can, we can hear all this stuff. That's, you know, these bands have been talking about for, you know, since yeah. 92 or something. It's so weird just to think, I mean, again, you know, we sound like old people, but like, yeah, if you're a younger fan, it's just, it was just so weird to not be able to have access to the music you wanted to hear. You couldn't just, you know, grab on YouTube or whatever, but. uh, Yeah. You had to know somebody or you had to, you know, have enough clout with your own collection to get stuff through tape trading. It was totally different, um, a different vibe. And if maybe if you could could find a Sodom record, it wasn't the one you wanted. You're like, this is what's influencing Dark Throne and all these other bands yeah. like i don't get it <laughs> well and, and honestly like you know even when i picked it up in like 97 you know it took me a few years to appreciate kind of the sloppy kind of lo-fi thrash because i was at that point you know like chris i was very much into like you know solos and production and things like that and you know i wasn't naturally like as drawn to like sloppy kind of stuff you know so well, i think the 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 term that fenris uses very well instead of sloppy it's primitive 
primitive. Yeah, exactly. Which, which shows it has some type of power that other yes. things don't. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because it's not <laughs> sloppy. You're right. Primitive is like a much better kind of way. Um, but then I ended up getting, I think I ended up getting Persecution Mania used on tape. And Grindcore Coon and I like fucking love that. I mean, we listen to Bomb and Hoggle like all the time, just like fucking <laughs> driving around. And I kind of started to get like a, an appreciation for them. But it wasn't really until the last like eight or 10 years that I kind of really went beyond like Agent Orange. Um, I mean, I never had Tapping the Veins. I know you did. Um, uh, that was my first um, Sodom album I got as a promo when we were doing the magazine. Oh, is that worse? Okay. Got Otherwise, it. I probably wouldn't have got it because it was kind of past what even like Agent Orange. I didn't, I didn't like that much when I heard it back then. Uh -huh. but Tapping the Vein did something where it was just, well, we talk about when, when we get to it, but sure. It's it's way better than I ever, and going back and listening to it, I was listening to it on the plane and stuff too. Yeah, I put together a little playlist um, when we were traveling out west, and I was like, this record is—it's just—I don't know—it did like fill the gap of thrash from that area era too. Like the guitar tone, like the solos are very like Kurt Hammett ish. Like there's all mm -hmm. kinds of weird shit to talk about on that record. Yeah, it's it's just like interesting how, you know, a band that, of the era where a lot of bands were peaking in 89, 90 or whatever, and then kind of like playing themselves out. It, like I said, it wasn't really until the last eight to 10 years that I discovered how they evolved in this incredibly potent kind of well-oiled machine, you know? Yeah. I think maybe I assume they went the way of like destruction or even like 90s creator, you know, and I just never, I never knew. And it was you know, finding stuff like, uh, you know, um, decision day and M 19 and, and some of that stuff where I picked up like the last eight, 10 years and been like, these are consistently good. It's kind of like when, I don't know, like I took a break from overkill, you know, like I didn't mm -hmm. know they were like great, uh, you know, well beyond the nineties or even the early nineties. And then it's like, everybody was like, Oh dude, you just got to check out like overkill. They're just putting out great records all the time. And you, then you start buying them. You're like, Oh fuck. Cause I, I don't know. It is weird. Like there's some bands I follow through no matter what, you know, like I'll yeah. buy their new shit and stuff, but a lot of these other bands, it's, it's hard to know. And you got to like be strategic with how you spend your money. And I don't always like go searching for like a band that's been around for 30 years. Be like, Oh, what's their new album sound like? You know, like, yeah. Unless it's like a specific band we've been following for forever, exactly. but, but like overkill, they've had so many different, like eras and they've never really hit that next level of popularity where they had any kind of issue with like, well, we need to kind of, you know, make this stuff be a little bit more fit into this pocket or this pocket. They've always done what they wanted to do. It's kind of did overkill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sodom yeah. kind of always done Sodom, you know, once mm -hmm. they kind of get a little bit out of their primitive stage, they kind of lock in. I mean, there's, there's ebbs and flows, punkier records, the, you know, heavier records, more catchy. I mean, there's definitely consistency, throughout but then in some variation and that's one of the things about like these two sodom episodes like you know sodom's pretty sodom at a certain point but like we're gonna still like go through a playlist of fun songs and shit and uh kind of talk about some of the stories going on a little with that but there's not there's not a lot of controversy here you know there's not like a lot of like you know <laughs> oh here's the, here's the 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 bad days and then here you know i mean we we are calling part two the comeback but like it's not that much of a comeback. It's really just from like a period that you could say was like maybe their least impactful, but it was still like for a lot of bands would have been a good period. You know what I mean? It was Yeah. It's all, I mean, it's an, it's a period of a lot of change in extreme metal too. Sure. And yep. they've been able to weather it. They've like, you know, there's some, some albums have a little bit more like, Oh, this is 
more of a modern production that doesn't necessarily do as much as it could for their sound, but they've always kind of done their own thing. They never like tried to do there's, there's parts where there's a little bit more like groovy parts that, you know, that was kind of the flavor of, I mean, that for the last 20 ish years or something was the flavor for a while and they peppered some little things in, but it doesn't come across like, you know, when Slayer tried to do new metal, I don't think it ever quite hits that, that level. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. And one of the other cool parts about starting kicking this whole series off with Sodom is when I kind of, I was fortuitous in knowing like this would eventually happen. And so when we interviewed uh, Tom Angel Ripper for the Venom series that we did, um, you know, I was like uh, the back half of that interview, I just asked him a bunch of Sodom questions and about early German thrash. And I was like, we can probably use this down the road when we, you know, do this kind of series. So Throughout parts one and two, you will hear from uh, Tom and myself a couple times. Um, not super long interviews, nothing crazy like the Venom episodes, but uh, you know, just little little bits from Tom, and he's just kind of chilling. It's Sodom length, you know. I wouldn't expect yeah. anything different. Yeah. I just remember uh, when we did the interview, Germany was playing in the Euro uh, Cup, and they weren't doing so hot. And he's a soccer fan, so he, he was, <laughs> I was like, "Are you doing okay?" You know, Germany's kind of getting their ass kicked; they're about to get knocked out of the tournament. He's like, "Eh," I think he was just like whatever, like kind of over it, but I felt bad. I mean, no, it was kind of a bad day to be doing an interview with a, a guy that's a German fan. So, well, it's pretty yeah. awesome to think that, you know, that what do they have 19 studio albums or something? It's, it's, it's insane. insane. Yeah. But it's, like, you know, in 2023, Tom's like 62 years old mm-hmm. and to still be doing this. And I, one of the, the quotes I thought was interesting from, I mean, he's obviously, you know, huge, Lemmy's been one of his, you know, biggest inspirations, sure. I think. Yep. And uh, he was talking with, I don't remember which interview it was, but um, somebody asked him the question, like, what is, what does Sodom mean to you? Yeah. And he was like, Sodom is my wife. It's my kid. It's my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for it to be like, like he's, he's lived this thing his entire existence and still loves it and i another thing that kept popping up in interviews is that this is even back when he was in his 40s and one of these interviews like i think we have a couple more years in us <laughs> and like that was even something you know so i, I saw that like three different you know yeah over 20 year period where he well, kept I mean, saying guess, that so you know if you look at like the the maybe mid 90s it wasn't a great period for a lot of those bands you know what i mean no. and the fact is, is like they managed to like steer out in the late nineties, early two thousands and find this like second life of just being such a potent fucking awesome band, you know? Yeah. And not everybody does that. And so, yeah, he might've seen it as like, eh, I don't know how much longer this is going to work kind of thing. But so. like after persecution mania that, you know, sold a hundred thousand copies in Germany. Now, I don't know what it's well, done worldwide. Well, agent orange, this is crazy. We'll get to this. Agent orange is the, top selling german thrash i don't know that's what it is sorry agent orange yeah it's the top selling like german like thrash album ever you know better and that's yeah that's what when he was like okay this is all we do now and i don't think he's done anything since but to hit hit that it's a it's a weird extreme metal is always weird but you know two and a half albums in then you hit like that and then you kind of weather the storm (laughs) take what you can get along the next you know 20 some years so let's get into it. I'll uh, I'll kind of take us on a little tour here, and uh, feel free to obviously jump in when when you need to. But um, Sodom was formed in 1981. Uh, they're from uh, Gelsenkirchen, which is at the center of the Ruhr, which is Germany's largest industrial area. Um, if you're a fan of like 20th century German history, and you know 
This is kind of the area located um, in the North Rhine, Westphalia, on the uh, Emshire River, which was a tributary of the Rhine. And a lot of people know the Rhineland from like Hitler. Um, that was the, the sort of industrial stretch that borders France that uh, was demilitarized or after the Versailles Treaty uh, as kind of a buffer zone or whatever. And Hitler's first like aggressive, I guess, military act was to remilitarize the Rhineland or whatever. So, you know, we're kind of talking that that area, the the industrial base, I guess, the, the kind of the rust belt of Germany, um, you know, heavy industry and coal mines and things like that. In fact, Tom kind of initiated the formation of the band in a sort of desperate attempt to get out of the coal mines. And I found an interview from 2011 Decibel with Jay Bennett. It's uh, the one where you did a crowbar illustration, Mark, if you're wondering. Oh, um, yeah. We're the, he's like uh, standing in a pile of money with a safe. I think so. Yeah. Electric <laughs> Wizard is on the cover. Um, cool. And uh, But yeah, but there's a, this little interview and um, they kind of ask him about it. And he says, the story is that you started Sodom to escape working in the coal mines. And he says, um, when I was in the coal mine, I remember thinking a lot of my friends were going to die in there. We were a thousand meters deep. And that is a very hard job. You know, I was so glad that they survived, but coal mining, that was my home. At these times, there were a lot of unemployed people. So they all go to the coal mine for work. My father went to the coal mine, my grandfather also. And my father took the decision for me to work in the coal mine as a blacksmith. I worked for 10 years, but it was a good time. It was like a big family. I got my money every month. Then in 89, I stopped doing this because Agent Orange came out and I got a lot of money from a record company to be a professional musician so I can make my living from the music. That was my aim, my dream, you know? And from that time, I never went to work. But being a musician and managing the band for myself, it's a full-time job. It's not just writing songs and playing concerts. There's so much behind what we have to do. And then Jay says, did you have any close calls when you worked in the mines? He says, no, I got some scratches and cuts on my fingers and arms and things like that. The job is very dangerous. I know, but I always take care of myself. Security was first for me. A lot of coal miners, they never mind about security, but it is very important. So I survived all these years with just some scratches. I worked at the Hugo mine. It was the first one in this area. They started mining there in 1873, I think. Nowadays, if you look in our area, almost all the coal mines are gone. In the whole district, just one or two coal mines are alive. That's why the people get unemployed here. Uh, the coal mines close and the people don't know where to go. You never find a good job here in this area. So kind of a little interesting insight into kind of what was driving him. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I it's guess. Very when similar you, to Black Sabbath and Jesus yeah, Priest. You know? Yep, exactly. Coming out of the industrial belt of England and stuff. But, um, you know, appropriately from where we interviewed Tom, they took their name from Venom, uh, 1000 Days in Sodom. And uh, soon became kind of a power trio in their honor. Um, they originally actually started as a four-piece in the demo era um, with Tom, a guy named Bloody Monster, uh, Arius Blasphemer, and Aggressor. All right. Um, and then Chris Witchhunter replaces Bloody Monster on drums. Uh, Arius was fired, and then Aggressor left before the debut EP. Um having released a pair of demos, which was called Witching Metal in 83 and then Victims of Death in 84. So that's kind of the little bit of the early sort of stuff there. Um, as Mark kind of mentioned before, their three biggest influences were Venom, Tank, and Motorhead especially. So, you know, big, big devotee to kind of that stripped down, you know, that sound, right? And even like, uh, I don't know, even, even Jeff kind of came to the revelation in the Venom interviews I did with him as to how much like Motorhead was even in like Venom riffs sometimes too, you know, his style. Mm -hmm. whatever. 
Well, yeah, um, yeah. Tom's uh, bass playing, you know, playing yeah. with the pick really hard, like, you know, like Lemmy for sure. But they were also big fans of Iron Maiden, Priest, Kiss, Rainbow, obviously, except another German you yes. know, band, ACDC, Raven, UFO. Um, and basically, those two demos I mentioned led to a deal with Steamhammer, and they release uh, In the Sign of Evil with uh, now they have a guy named Gray Violator on guitar, and he'll leave after the recording and be be-pl- replaced by a guy named uh, Mikael Wolf, uh, Wolf uh, also known as Destructor. And that's uh, who will play on the Obsessed by Cruelty, which is the full-length debut. Um, And he soon leaves after Obsessed by Cruelty and temporarily joins Creator uh, for a bit before he dies in a 1993 motorcycle accident. Um, And so the guitar turnover, like I I wrote, is is very spinal tappish, I suppose. Um, Yeah, and the the back and forth between members of Creator is interesting as well. (laughs) It is pretty, pretty wild. Um, but I've got some stuff to kind of read in this opening t- sort of talk set to, I guess, kind of set the scene for the German thrash and for Sodom a bit. And the first place I want to turn to is <clears throat> a friend of the podcast who was on all those Venom episodes, uh, Dial Patterson, um, his Evolution of the Cult, the black metal books. Um, and the seventh chapter is called The First Wave of Black Thrash. And it actually starts off with a a couple of quotes that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, one is from Fenrez and he says, it's about extraction. You almost have to search for the black metal in the albums. That was when it was interesting. It was not labeled. You had to find it for yourself. And some of that magic was maybe lost in the nineties when you could get a sticker on an album saying this is black metal. Um, and then Apollyon uh, from R Noir, Immortal, Cadaver and Dotheim's guard. He said, when we first when we started the second wave of black metal, it was that feeling we were after creator, merciful fate, Bathory, Celtic frost, venom. Obviously it was not black metal, but it was, uh, but it, to us, it was. So this is sort of where you kind of fall into that camp of like, where does a band like Sodom fit in the, in the sort of trajectory. And so, um, so here's what dial kind of has to say about this. He says, while venom, merciful fate, Bathory, and Hellhammer slash Celtic Frost are generally considered the most pivotal in kickstarting the black metal genre. The bands in this chapter also played a significant hand in its development. Again, it should be emphasized that in many cases, the band's quote, black metal qualities remain a matter of interpretation. Since the extreme metal scene at the time was simply too small for the sort of intense subgenre labeling that goes on today. Back then, most of these bands were simply considered acts from the darker, heavier side of thrash. And indeed, as the years went on, many would evolve into a pure, less evil sounding take on that genre. The German trio of Sodom, Creator, and Destruction, as well as the American act Slayer, are a perfect case in point. Formed in the early 80s, these three bands would increasingly be hailed as thrash icons as the decade continued and are all still going strong today. Nevertheless, the early works of these three acts helped to inspire an entirely an entirely different movement, a fact attested to by Fenrez and Apollyon, two important figures in 90s Norwegian black metal, who helped resurrect the early primal spirit of these Teutonic acts at a time when it had been all but forgotten, not least by the bands themselves. Still, it was perhaps Mayhem's Euronymous who was most vocal in his admiration for these bands' formative days. Uh, days excuse me. Indeed, his label was named after Sodom's death-like silent song, as well as in his determination not to lose the black metal essence the way these bands had. As his interview in the fourth issue of Kill Yourself explains, he says, quote, 
It's quite weird that everybody talks about Venom, Bathory, and Hellhammer as the old evil bands, but nobody mentions Sodom and Destruction. They came at the same time as Bathory and Hellhammer, and their first albums are masterpieces of black, stinking metal. Nobody manages to make music like that now, end quote. So what are your thoughts on kind of like the way Dial, how would you sort of talk about that before I get into what he has to say specifically about Sodom? Do you agree with kind of what he's saying there about these bands didn't market themselves as that, but obviously they have this huge black cloud that, that influences a lot of that? Yeah, I would definitely, you know, agree with that summation. Um, Cause that, that was my really the appeal that I had in, you know, the, the first EP, the first full length from Sodom and, um, same with, with destruction, their first EP and, um, first full length was like that, that sounded as black metal as Bathory did to me. Yeah. Like more so in like, we're getting into venom more than just what was, you know, cause 97 was also that venom year, wasn't it for the cast in stone reunion? Yeah, that was, yeah, we saw there. So like venom was already like, there was a buzz around that, um, the year before when I was working at relapse, the stuff that would be coming through um mail order was just all that stuff that we wanted to like the early stuff we didn't really know that well because like you know agent orange and persecution mania were have very i would say very little as far as um any type of uh black metal ish things outside of you know tom's vocals always have he goes back and forth between you know guttural thrashy but he's always got that kind of black metal edge and i think i think he's incredibly influential to a lot of a lot of different vocalists but I, I think they're, they're, I don't, maybe because they don't talk about it, they don't ever act like they were part of that scene. I think it was just the early, you know, some of the stories about when Frank comes in the band, how, you know, we could talk about, you know, politics and war and other things besides just, you know, occultism. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so Dial kind of goes on, he gives a little bit of the the band history that I just sort of went through, talks about the kind of early band members and stuff like that. And he says, uh, later that same year, Monster departed to be replaced by Chris Witchhunter, uh, real name Dudek. Uh, and the band re- recorded and released a four-track demo entitled Witching Metal. One of the noisiest and most chaotic-sounding metal releases in existence at that time, the tape presents Sodom as perhaps Bathory's only real competition in terms of early metal extremity. And bear in mind, this was two years before the Scandinavian Metal Attack compilation was released. Undoubtedly, Part of what makes the tape so brutal is its highly amateurish production. But songs such as the title track and Devil's Attack also bore considerable promise, and the hellish subject matter certainly made an impact. Another demo, Victims of Death, this time featuring eight songs, followed in 1984, before the iconic In the Sign of Evil EP was issued later that year. Featuring a slightly clearer sound than the demos, but only just, the release remains an aggressive, rabid-sounding piece of work. There's a definite Venom influence, not only in the vocals, but also in the somewhat chaotic and primitive approach, which recalls Welcome to Hell, albeit with more extreme and less melodic twists. The attitude, quote, the attitude, the riffs, it just sounded very violent and evil, explains Apollyon. Evil is a silly word in a way, but you know what I mean. I mean, you're allowed to have fun and care about the environment and so on in private, but there's no need to sing about it. So I still prefer really simple, primitive stuff like Sodom-like lyrics. And Sodom really have the best lyrics ever, like that Blasphemer song from In the Sign of Evil, quote, spit at the church, evil I get. 
Yeah, I'm all for that sort of stuff. You can hear they really want to play as fast as they can and as vicious as possible. And it really has a punk attitude. So I prefer the first albums when it doesn't sound technically brilliant. It doesn't sound too controlled or well-produced. Sodom's first full-length, Obsessed with Cruelty, was issued in 1986, following in a similar violent vein while refining the band's sound and including a lengthy, atmospheric introduction. The opus impressed many fans, some of whom would go on to form their own bands. Quote, Obsessed by Cruelty is a very important black metal album for me, ponders Fenrez of Dark Throne. But when I bought it as a kid, I was thinking, hmm, this is strange thrash. I didn't understand the blackness in it. Fenrez wasn't alone in his appreciation. The record was uh, also, according to Necro Butcher of Mayhem, both his and bandmate Euronymous's favorite release of that year. Despite this positive reception from the underground hordes, it wasn't long before the band started experimenting with catchier, more upbeat territories with their releases, the lyrics moving away from satanic subjects and instead drawing on the fear of nuclear war that was making its way into public consciousness at the time. So, and we'll obviously be talking about that kind of transition when we get to uh, not this set, but the next set of music, I suppose, um, you know, where, like you said, this famous conversation between Frank and Tom about like, you know, do we want to keep singing about like Satan and occult stuff or do we want to do something, you know, I guess, you know, a little bit different, you know? Yeah. That has more, I guess, more dimensionality to it or, or a longer future. Yeah. I think, you know, you go from that kind of youthful sort of like, uh, you're kind of interested in taboo things for a while. And then you ultimately kind of, I don't want to say grow up, but you just, you, your interests wane and, you know, well, also towards- like what you just, what you think extremity is changes. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like uh, exterior stuff. It can be like, you know, inner torment. It could be all kinds of stuff like you that that whole idea can kind of, I think, change. You can keep that just like how like here's the drinking moment uh, with Paradise Lost has kept gloom all across everything they've ever done. Even the stuff that's like, you know, very poppy Depeche Mode type yeah. stuff. There's always that gloom through it. And I think as long as you keep that kind of like that uh i guess whatever whatever you decide your you know works for you like with with sodom it's just kind of a almost like oppression and brutality and um bludgeoning like it's just it's very primal stuff well it's also interesting too like you know what you evolve like as a horror movie fan like what scared you when you were like 16 or 17 doesn't scare you anymore but like different kind of stuff scares you when you get older or it takes a little bit more to like get under your skin and yeah like just you know, a guy me, like jumping in the window as opposed to like no you dying yeah, <laughs> when your, mortal- yeah, when your like, mortality actually means something like occult stuff you know i remember hearing alters of sacrifice like in middle school and i was scared you know when he's like yeah. through the realm of satan and it's like oh shit should we be listening to this but like now that that song doesn't like disturb me at all the occult stuff doesn't really bother me but you know like i don't know schindler's list bothers me right like you know yeah it's like yeah. it's war it's real it's like it's fucked up you know it's human that's real like kind of shit so it's it, it is it's kind of interesting how your your tastes change and, and maturity and stuff well yeah like the the real brutality of man is much more barbaric than anything that elster crowley talks about yeah yeah absolutely kind of some of the other stuff kind of just becomes more halloween you know yeah um so Returning back to the Terrorizer uh, Secret History of Black Metal issue that we used a couple times probably during Venom and some other stuff. And um, they do an article about black metal's first wave. And it's uh, Guy Guy Strachan is the author. Well, actually, 
hear from him twice uh, in a couple terrorizer issues. And this is a little section where he talks about the Teutonic forces of evil, just to kind of set the context. He says, somewhere between Hellhammer and Bathory came a Teutonic explosion courtesy of destruction in Sodom. While both Warrior and Quorthon had attempted to create a bleak ambiance that surrounded the chaos, the Germans pretty much forsook any kind of atmosphere and simply and effectively went for the throat. Destruction's first two outings, Sentence of Death and Infernal Overkill, replete with more leather bullets and inverted crucifixes than anyone else, were the musical equivalent of a salivating Rottweiler, while Sodom's ultra chaos was a barely controlled raping of the instruments. While Destruction dubbed their music Black Speed Metal, it would be Sodom's initial outings that were the most influential, fathering the nuclear and war genres, two subgenres that actually do have direct lines from the past to the present. Let's not forget their influence on Euronymous, with him naming his Death Like Silence Productions imprint after a track from German uh, from their 1986 Obsessed by Cruelty. However, by 8788, both bands alongside Creator had dropped the satanic front for a more considered social commentary approach, backed up by a far more professional sound that in Sodom's case brought them success, but was ultimately spelled, well, destruction for destruction. Um, Italy's bulldozer were also described as total clones of Venom for their days of wrath. And despite the band's denials, their sound lived up to their moniker, although future albums saw increased experimentation with that formula. So, again, just setting the context that, the, you know, everybody kind of starts to see these guys when you kind of start to write the story of metal and black metal and in those kind of lights. Um, this is just a little part from Andrew O'Neill, uh, who wrote The History of Heavy Metal. Uh, we, we read from that a little bit um, in the Venom episode two, and he just kind of talks. He says, in May of 1984, the German band Sodom released a bestial slab of noise called In the Sign of Evil. With extreme vocals, buzzsaw guitars, and frenetic pace, it's heavier than Venom and tighter than most black metal. The follow-up album, Obsessed by Cruelty, continues in much the same vein. They then switched direction in their later years. They were leading light in the Teutonic thrash metal movement, but their early work remains influential. Their blackened reputation was helped no end by the iconic early frontman of Mayhem, Pear, uh, Dead Olin, wearing a Sodom shirt in most of his photographs. The Norwegian black metal kingpin, Euronymous, named his record label after a Sodom song, Death Like Silence. Job-wise, Sodom were even more metal than Black Sabbath. They formed a band so they wouldn't have to continue working down a coal mine, a clear win in the game of Industrial Revolution harsh job top, uh, top trumps. Often the most inventive and original bands in heavy metal come from scenes that are geographically isolated, unable to homogenize in the way bigger scenes often do, with no touring bands coming through and influencing everyone in the uh, same way. Musicians in more remote scenes have to make their own fun as during the war. So kind of interesting uh, little sort of aside there on that one. And then I've got, I'm almost done, Mark. I'm almost there, but feel free to jump in one, <laughs> switching between these. This is the most reading I'm going to do is just in this early set. But uh, this is Guy Strachan again. This comes from an old Terrorizer issue that I picked up, I think, when we did the American Thrash series. And it's uh, the Thrash special part one and part two from April of 03. So it's it's a ways back. This one has uh, Scotty Ian on the cover. And they, uh, they're kind of looking at global thrash is is sort of the, the, the stuff that they're kind of going in through here. And they obviously talk a little bit about Germany. Um, and da, 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 da. he says, uh, if we were to view the American thrash acts as the backbone of the genre, then one might look to Germany as its heart and soul. West Germany, uh, as it was in the 80s, developed its own big three in creator destruction in Sodom. The three merited considerable acclaim, and Germany has held a firm thrash tradition ever since. 
Passion was the overriding factor, and though many uh, many musicians were gifted technically, German acts tended to be more motivated than perfunctory. Unsurprisingly, given uh, the divide in the country at the time, the area most disposed to produce metal bands uh, was the West, and there were countless illustrations of superior thrash. Uh, creator especially developed their supreme talent beyond their initial rumblings, building upon thrash milestones, endless pain, and pleasure to kill. By means of a more measured and professional approach, despite the face-melting production and blistering riffs, 1989's Extreme Aggression marked a new path for the band, injecting melody where there had been none and focusing more on lyrics, techniques, and overall package. As would often be the case, Destruction and Sodom followed suit to conversely detrimental effect. Where Creator honed their abilities and up the ante, their compatriots finished the decade in less glorious style. Sodom had made impressive waves with 1986 Obsessed by Cruelty and the follow-up Persecution Mania, despite song titles like Volcanic Slut. Yet their shortcomings <laughs> were fully exposed on the string of subsequent releases, including Agent Orange, which was only notable for its Vietnam War subject matter. So I would actually disagree with Guy because I actually think Agent Orange and some of the stuff they do right after holds up pretty well. Again, maybe in 03, People didn't have the context to like know that Sodom was like building a, a really great second act in the 2000s. You know, I, I mean? mean, I think in 2003, I had a similar I did the, my similar view of that yeah. album. So it's, it's <clears> kind of <throat> interesting how it's evolved over time, you know? Well, because I mean, that's I think the early stuff was so like, you know, everybody's rediscovering again and nothing. It's not really sounded like that. And all this other black metal that everybody was listening to, like you could that was, you know, the forefather of the whole thing. I think Agent Orange and persecution mania kind of were not as that's why i don't have them on record because i never grabbed them and if you look at any of that stuff now it's just like it's insane what any of that God. stuff costs yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense um so this is from the the last thing i have to read from terrorizer and this is from issue 256 so we're kind of near the end of the <laughs> the the terrorizer run it's got napalm death on the cover when is this from i can't even try and remember uh, I don't know if I can't find a year. Sorry about that. But uh, anyway, it's a, a newer issue and I, I couldn't find the author. It's just kind of a general kind of article. Actually, I'll return to this a couple of times. So it's on Teutonic Thrash and uh, says, despite the existence of many a fantastic group and the continuity of the style uh, assured by younger ones, the majority of them have remained underground with most of the older ones having disbanded along the way. German thrash has mostly been carried throughout the decades by three bands, Sodom, Creator and Destruction. Despite an anomaly in the timeline here and there, um, let's see. These are the three groups that have def uh, definitively shaped what we understand as German thrash metal. Most importantly, the three major personalities behind each group have emerged as the necessary larger-than-life scene-uniting personalities. Think of German thrash, and you'll inevitably think of legendary frontmen Tom Angel Ripper, Millie Petrova, and Schmier, each of them ripping it up on stage, leading their own power trio. That's another thing. Ever wondered why all the important German thrash bands formed as trios? There's a clear and readily assumed reason behind it, and it's a British reason too. Venom, says uh, a man called Thomas Such, also known as Tom Angel Ripper to you and me and most of the rest of the world. Um, one common denominator in all those bands is that quite simply, they all wanted to be like Venom, quite literally even. Quote, I think it was around 1981 that I realized that uh, that his was really 
what I wanted to do to be a musician and to be in a band. And I formed Sodom the next year and we were big metal fans already anyway. And the biggest, most important thing to us was Venom's Welcome to Hell. It was fantastic. I never heard a band like that before who made the decision that we wanted to do that ourselves. We wanted to do our own version of that music. We called the band Sodom because it was much easier to pick our band names at that time. Then we got aggressor for the guitar and we got into the rehearsal room with Bloody Monster on drums to try and learn our instruments, to learn how to play them properly. Some would argue that it took Sodom a while to achieve that. <laughs> uh, the band <laughs> themselves are fine with that too. The unadulterated aggression and sheer passion put in, uh, into those two initial Sodom demos, wi uh, Witching Metal and Victims of Death, goes far beyond uh, the tri uh, trivialities uh, as actually knowing how to play properly. Quote, it's very funny listening to those demos today, Tom says with a wide nostalgic smile, but I'm very proud of it. It was a very exciting time. We were just starting to know our instruments. It was the first step to us. And I know there are still a lot of fans around who like those demos. We never did get a record deal with the first one. We had to do the second one and send it to the record companies in America and all over Germany. We were lucky to get a record deal in 1984 to record an EP, which would become In the Sign of Evil. But yeah, I still listen to those songs, you know? A lot of fans ask us why we don't play more stuff from that era, but it's hard. We have to tell our guitarist and our drummer to listen to these demos, and it's hard for them to actually play like we used to play uh, when we didn't even know how to play properly. The result is almost always is almost like covering another band. But in any case, I'm very proud. Witching Metal was where it all began, and it brought us into the scene. So that's pretty cool. You know? You know? Yeah. He says that. <laughs> you know? Uh, says, yeah, I mean, make, making fun of uh somebody who speaks more than one language yeah no shit <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see I, I came across something where instead of the big four there was somebody that called the three kings of teutonic thrash instead yeah i mean it's we're gonna cover tanker in this series they're the band i know the least about we probably won't cover a lot of the material but there seems to be a lot of respect for tanker um yeah People have said like they're maybe the most like alongside Sodom, the most consistent, like they've never really put out like a bad record. I just have a couple of their stuff from like the late eighties, um, yeah. like chemical invasion and a couple other ones, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I, you know, do you put them in, they don't have the impact that, that Sodom destruction and creator have clearly, you know, I, I don't think I always felt they were more like accept uh, than the real Teutonic yeah. stuff. Like they or were not, they, they weren't like, quite as aggressive as everything else. I mean, I guess if you look at like the propensity, maybe of party thrash, which is probably like the thrash scene I'm like the least into, you know, the municipal waste and, and that sort of stuff. Maybe that's kind of where Tankert falls in. I, I feel like Tankert is almost a precursor for power metal. You think so? Like for, like for Halloween and Blind Guardian. Well, I think Halloween predates Tankert though. Yeah, that's sort true. Of really Blind Guardian. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, you know what, this is going to be interesting because Mark and I don't know shit about Tanker. I so do not know shit about Tanker. When we finally have to cover him, <laughs> we're going to have to put it in context and figure this shit out. So, but um, yeah, uh, one one last little part from this terrorizer I kind of want to share. Um, it says, uh, the lack of experience, the figuring things out as they went along might have actually played a huge part in the way that the German thrash developed, usually regarded as rougher and more crudely aggressive than its American counterparts. Uh, these are characteristics born out of a bunch of drunken teenagers going all out while still grasping the fundamentals of their own instruments. Quote, the first time the record company sent us to a real studio, a professional studio in Berlin, we didn't know what to do, recalls Tom, looking back on how In the Sign of Evil was recorded. Recording each track separately and then mixing them in the end with a producer telling us what to do and trying to help us, all these things were new to me. 
We went to the bar to drink after each and every recording session, of course. It was just like in those all, in all those tours in the late 80s. We were drunk every night. It didn't matter if there was a show or if it was an off day or whatever. That's what we did. These days, I'm turning into an old man. I can't even drink any beer before the shows. We did have a lot of fun back then. These days, I do my own shows, and I'm looking forward to the tour's end so I can go home. But in that period, we felt like we could live that life forever. But yeah, that was that recording was unbelievable. We still couldn't play our instruments as good as many other bands, but no other band sounds like in The Sign of Evil. It was very different from Tormento, Tormentor Creator and from Destruction too. not only musically, but in terms of approach. Destruction were much more professional musicians back then. We just wanted to do it like Venom, and that was it. There was an old promotional catchphrase that said, we were heavier than Venom and faster than Metallica, actually. He remembers with a knowing wink before casually dropping one of the biggest statements of the entire conversation. <laughs> In the beginning, we didn't even talk about thrash metal. That's just a name that, that came later. And it's frequently the case that pioneers aren't really aware that they are, in fact, pioneering. Once again, as it goes uh, in often in the history of metal, this was just the case of passionate young kids doing what they love and trying to be sort of version of their own heroes, creating their own unique movement in the process and becoming heroes themselves to a whole new generation who would do likewise. Like, for example, the Scandinavians, for whom Sodom's Obsessed by Cruelty in particular is a huge influence. Quote, I know that Obsessed by Cruelty is a great influence for the Scandinavian black metal scene, and that's really unbelievable, Tom says with some disbelief. This album is so rough, so pure, it's just the music recorded as it is, and that's it. It's really something special, and it's funny that we actually recorded it twice. We recorded the complete album in Berlin, but then we were told that there was some problem with the sound, so it was so bad that we had to record it in another studio. So there were two versions of the album, and we ended up using the second one. So, <laughs> kind of interesting, you know. And then I think the last thing, actually, I'm going to save that for later. So I'm going to save that for the next thing. So, so Mark, what are your thoughts on In the Sign of Evil and Obsessed by Cruelty as you kind of both as somebody that, you know, absorbed these records a couple decades ago and then kind of looking back on it now, like with a little bit of hindsight, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on these records? Well, I think they have more, um, they're more endearing to me now. Like I, I, I got back then that they're influential or, you know, whatever it might've been, but now, you know, another 20 years or 20, some 20 plus years, uh, uh -huh. listening to them. I don't listen to Sodom that often, but going back and especially these, these earlier the records stuff a little bit more, if that yeah. makes sense. Cause like they're easier to put on cause they're kind of fun. You know, this yeah. stuff's like, yeah, you got to intensely listen cause it's pretty you know primitive and stuff like that. Yeah. But like, I, I can hear so much more like I, I've never, when I first started listening to stuff, I, I didn't really know Tormentor, not the not the pre-creator, um, but the but the Hungarian the band. Hungarian band, yeah. Um, I'm hearing tons of stuff in that different, like kind of riffs, you know, from Burzum and everybody else that I didn't initially kind of kind of see there. I think there's a lot to that's the the great thing about like listening to stuff for so many years is going back and listening to really what you thought was unlistenable stuff. And now is like, God, this is like, you know, this is like new dark throne records or something. Sure. I think that's yeah. what they're trying to pull into to some of this, but it's just like that, that enthusiasm, naivete, and like having this definitive kind of direction where you wanted to, to push things. And I think those, the first EP and the first record are fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, um, you know, you listen, it, it's like, listen to like, kind of wild jazz you know the first time you encounter it it seems primitive it seems like there's no structure it seems like you you know it's like you know primitive black metal or whatever but once you can kind of like 
see the spine of everything and you kind of know the nuances of what's going on, it, it kind of becomes pretty prolific and beautiful in its own weird way. And I yeah. Think and like how, how like dead simple some of these riffs are like just really simple, like chord progression, not even chord progression, like power chord progressions. And then it's just like the drums are barely staying in time. Um, they're recorded really weird. All the, I, even like those early creator records, everybody is recording the toms where they sound like rota toms all the time. Like they had some type of weird effect, like a a chorus effect or something on them. But sure. like all that stuff is super charming, and that people for the last thirty years have tried to replicate in some fashion, which is yeah. incredibly difficult to do. I know. I mean, how, it's like even even when Tom says in the the interview, I just kind of shared like we can't even record our own songs. Like we can't like cover our own songs. Cause like the way it was performed is so like crazy. I mean, that's kind of like, uh, you know, brave murder day, the drums, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they can't like replicate that very well because it's so like an end time, especially it's not, it's not played to a click. And like yeah. same with like early, early paradise lost stuff. Like they could have been a different band if Tuds wasn't a, you know, a fairly limited drummer who couldn't play a double bass and stuff and like hearing re-recordings of early songs it almost sounds off because it's in time yeah it's like too well played no <laughs> yeah there's a there's that certain kind of i don't that you can never replicate that kind of stuff and it's just uh it's just kind of there to to go back and um For sure. kind of re reabsorb and re uh reappreciate yeah, and I think uh, you know I'll I'll say this now about the Sodom episode. I think one thing that's important for Requiem fans who expect you know crazy fucking deep analysis is, I mean the episode's really front loaded. This first set is a lot of setup to to the Sodom story, because once you kind of get into Sodom music, it's pretty self explanatory. <laughs> There's not a lot of a lot of not not a lot of analysis here that we're going to go into in the songs. At least for me, it's like quicker notes than usual because it's it's kind of standard stuff, but it's all really good and it has. It has some differences, you know, here and there, but, uh, you know, so I just, that's kind of like the, the, the asterisks, the, the kind of warning, at least from my end, you know, so. Yeah. I've got some, the stuff that the kind of analysis I have is more like, Hey, I can see where these, somebody pulled this riff yeah. or, yep. or something like that, or this type of aesthetic or something. But yeah, there's, there's no like uh theory or something we're going to throw out. Yeah, about yeah exactly. Tom's it's bass not not a lot of uh, lyrical analysis or anything like that. I mean, every so often they do like war references that are kind of interesting. We'll, we'll kind of get into, but um, you know, what we're going to kind of start with here is basically the, in the sign obsessed by cruelty set uh, this sort of like, you know, barbaric primitive kind of era, and then sort of end with a tune that's going to kind of take us out of that era into the next era, I suppose. So, um, we're going to start with a pair of tunes from in the sign of evil and uh, witching metal, which great title. Um, definitely like inspired by witching hour uh, from venom oh, of course <laughs> and it's got you know speaking of venom like a great venom kind of discharge hellhammer bathory kind of punkish riff and like you said before i think one thing to like listen for if you if you haven't listened to a lot of early sodom is just how out of control witch hunters drums are they're just like off the rails all the time you know? yeah i put the tempo is all over the place and wonderful <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, even like, you know, in the next song from In the Sign of Evil, Burst uh, Command to War, I, I just described him as like barbaric almost. It's like caveman kind of chaos drumming. You know, it's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, just put bludgeon, yeah, bludgeoning. Like the, and, uh, it was like my, the, I have a note for um, like destruction kind of dazzled and Sodom just bludgeoned. Yeah, no, it's good. And, and kind of creator kind of like, I don't know, threaded the needle a little. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I it, think Creator was the most listenable out of all of them. 
Yeah. Like immediately they, there was something like even like the earlier stuff, I could immediately glom onto it more so than, you know, the other two. For sure. For sure. You know, Burst's Command to a War, the other tune we're going to hear from in The Sign of Evil, it's it's got kind of opens with a cool Slayer Show No Mercy riff. Uh, that's pretty neat. Um, I mean, the song embodies the song or the embodies the song title. It's like a battle or war, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, it happening in the song. And you can hear a lot of this in like future, like Dark Throne and Norwegian black metal riffing, you know, the, the kind of really cool, sick drum feel at the end. It's like this chaotic fury. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. wild. Witch Hunter gets like teased a little bit, but he's kind of like a secret weapon that kind of kept Sodom in like a really, I don't know, it's like Ventor in in Creator. He was just like so weird and so like not normal that it, like it worked. Or Igor in like Sepultura, right? It's just yeah, like, like the the te- the tempos he's playing against some guitar licks that are like half the speed. It doesn't yeah. make a whole lot of sense, but it's awesome. It's very cool. So, and then we get to the notorious, uh, you know, there's intro, uh, and then it goes into death, like silence, which of course the, the name of Euronymous's production company. And so the intro is sick and evil. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's cool. Like a lot of intros, I take them or leave them, but I kind of like some of them mixed in a little, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I just said, you know, the mix must've inspired like early R noir, like, you know how, like, some of those R&OR black thrash records, before they kind of clean their sound up, like, the mix is, like, off, and it's, like, almost, like, too much treble sometimes or that? Yeah. Like, it, that's what it reminded me of. Like, where there'd be something really catchy, but, like, it was uncomfortably recorded, so you couldn't almost enjoy it. <laughs> it's, like, kind of weird. Uh, it's, like, a, a thought experiment. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, I love the breakdown and the guitar swells in Death Like Silence. Very savage. And that fucking murky bass tone is fucking awesome. I just call it chaos thrash. That's what this is kind of... Yeah, it's just like punishing and weird, simple and bizarre, like fast and cutting, but uh, otherworldly. And it's like venom, but uglier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, proselytism, real. Uh, I don't know if I think I pronounced that right. Um Real hellhammer, kind of fate, kind of evil, slow opening before kicking into a killer, kind of churning mid-paced mosh riff. Lots of mayhem. I can hear where like mayhem took. Oh, absolutely. Took, you know, and then sort of the last tune we hear from Obsessed by Cruelty is uh, uh, Nuke Tumoron. Is that is that how you'd say that? Nuke Tumoron. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck it means. <laughs> Nuke. I looked up what most of the things meant, but I don't think I looked up what that meant. All I said is I just said it sounds like an out of control train barreling towards you. Like it just fucking like here it comes, you know. Um, well, I put uh, yeah, like second wave black metal prototype, you know, yeah. killer bass breakdown, nice heavy echo on vocals, um dive bomb leads. All sounds like an eruption from hell. <laughs> yeah, there you go. A train eruption from hell. That's yeah. great. And then we're going to kind of end the set with, uh, you kind of hear a, a dramatic shift starts to happen in Sodom um, because Frank Blackfire sort of joins. We'll talk more about him in the next set, um, but he's going to take the guitar helm on an EP called Experts of Sodom, uh, of Sodomy, excuse me. And uh, phase two kind of really begins. And um, yeah, it begins with Sodomy and Lust. And so we'll, we'll talk more about that song when we kind of come back. We're going to also hear from Tom Angel Ripper at the end of these this set of music, too, for the first time. And so, uh, yeah, enjoy this kind of, you know, if you're new to Sodom, this is as barbaric as it's going to get. And as by the end of the set, if if this isn't your cup of tea, if you're more of a catchy thrash guy uh, or girl, uh, stick around. Get some of that, too. 
Yeah, because by the time you get to Sodomy and Lust, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, okay. I think I'm on board with the rest of this. So enjoy. We got Witching Metal and intro, the intro slash burst command till war from the In the Side of Evil EP from 85. And then from 86 is Obsessed by Cruelty. We've got uh, Death Like Silence with an intro, then Proselytism Real, Nuke to Moran, and then we'll end with Sodomy and Lust from 1987's Experts of Sodomy EP. Oh, 
With regard to the German thrash scene, where were the different influences coming from with the the sort of early, that early group of bands, that first wave of sort of German thrash? Um, and then I guess 
you know, so you can speak to that. And then I guess more specifically, what was, were the influences coming in with Sodom? I get, I, I think, I think, I think my hometown, you know, was, there was a lot of coal mines, factories, you know, and I think that was very interesting because the American trash bands, um, coming at the same time, you know, but, but we know, we know nothing about any American bands because there was no magazines, no internet, you know, and uh, there, I think there is a musical difference between American bands and European thrash bands, you know. I think the European bands are more heavier, maybe, or it's a different music because um, because um, where we live in are surrounded by coal mines, you know, like Venom was uh, growing up in Newcastle, you know. I think that is something that changed the music a little bit. You try so we were, um, what I talked before, we were against everyone. We were against teachers, uh, parents, politics, uh, establishment, you know. We want to do something special, you know. And we want to do it as heavier as possible, you know. And we never get any support by our parents, you know. Like maybe American bands, you know, where the, where the son is getting a guitar for Christmas, you know, whatever, you know. My father don't like, never liked this music, you know. And uh, he don't want to support me. He don't want to give me any money for buying a bass guitar or whatever, you know. And uh, that is maybe the difference, you know. Everything I bought in the beginning, my bass guitar, my first Marshall amplification, you know, I spent my own money for it, you know. Yeah. And um, my father was really disappointed because I was a metal fan, you know. And I want to talk about quit my job in a coal mine, you know. There was a big trouble at home, you know. You have to stay on a coal mine, you get your money every month, you know. And I told my father, you know, I want to get, I want to be a musician, you know. I want to spend more time with my band, you know. And it was really hard in these times, you know. But it, we never get support, nobody supported us, you know. Mm-hmm. That's just a big difference, you know. So it's almost like, uh, you know, the environmental differences, you know, you talk about like uh, Birmingham and how that shaped Black Sabbath and Priest and Napalm coming from like factory towns. It's interesting because it seems like all the th- a lot of the thrash bands came, you know, especially the California bands came from, you know, warm weather and, you know, kind of yeah. that environment. And it almost made the German thrash stuff like darker sounding, it sounds like, based on some environmental factors. Yeah, I think that is... That makes a difference with me, you know. That's a, you know, you you see. I know videos from Antrax, you know, they were sitting on a beach, you know, and then having a good time, you know. And I don't know. Yeah, them. It's the music is completely different, you know. That what I'm always talking about. What is rational, you know? Is it? I think Sodom is not a typical rational band, you know. Um, I think Overkill or Exodus are more rational than Sodom. Uh, but it's very interesting that that different bands growing up at the same time, you know, with different music, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you make of, I guess, the tag that's been given to you guys of the sort of big four German thrash tag, which is similar to obviously the big four in American thrash? Does that hold mm-hmm. weight or do you think it was just a convenient thing that journalists and fans kind of started to use? I, I never talk about it before, you know, with some, you know. There were bigger bands in Germany, like the Big Four, you know. I think Creator is bigger than Sodom, you know. And uh, there is also Halloween, you know, or Running Wild, you mm-hmm. know, which is different music, you know. 
But if you talk about the big four stretch metal bands, you know, that is that is the sort of graded structure and tanker, you know. So, so you're okay with it when it's used to kind of define thrash, maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, yeah, but that's it's almost never a really special metal band. Even nowadays, you know, when, yeah. when we start writing songs, you know, it's not typical special. We have some some guitar riffs, you know, but uh, I think it's more blank thrash, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. When we started, there was witching metal, you know, and if. Somebody asked what kind of music you're gonna do. We do heavy metal. You know? Yeah, absolutely. The purest form, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean those early Sodom records could be proto black metal, like you said. You know, they're not necessarily in one genre. You know. Yeah, I think the first two records, you know, they were they still have a big impact to the black metal scene. You know, mm -hmm. we play in Norway, Scandinavia, all the time, and you no. Know, and uh, there were some people who told me that Obsessed by Cruelty is the best Sodom album ever, you know? <laughs> which is really funny. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yes, I know what I mean. You know, when I said the Welcome to Hell is the best Venom record, you so, know? yeah. But I'm, but I'm true. You know, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people, people get nostalgic. You know, about the the things that were their gateways into certain scenes. You know, for sure. Um, you know, but we just do music. You know, we just do metal music in the purest form, you know, and uh, we, we like to do this kind of music, you know, I'm fan from this music, you know, we never changed anything. Sure. What What do you think, like, you, you're kind of talking about the environmental stuff, but when you talk about, like, what is what is it different about German thrash sound versus, say, like, what, you know, you mentioned America, but even, like, Brazil or some of the other thrash scenes that were popping up around the, the planet, do you think it's the faster, more aggressive stuff, or is there kind of a defining characteristic of German thrash that makes it German thrash? I don't know. And not necessarily Sodom, but just, just the thrash scene in general, you know? So Yeah. I think the soul is different. maybe different, you know? We, uh, I think we, we spend a lot of time in studios, you know, which, was, which are not so professional, so expensive, you know? I think I think the production makes the difference, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's also the lyrics. It's it's, it's everything, you know. What what's what's coming in when you write songs, you know. Um, but when I told before, we never look what other bands do, you know. We so we we cr created something new, you know, something own. Which, you know, if you listen to song, what what record ever, you know, you li you listen to one one note and it's song, you know. And that is very important. You know? Yeah. But uh, you cannot compare. Also, if you talk about Tankert, you know, it's completely different to Solo, you know. Yeah. But the people talk it's fresh metal, you know. Um, yeah, it's very hard to explain. You know? Sure. No, no, that's 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 a good answer. I just, you know, I didn't know, like, if you guys have ever had conversations, like, when you're sitting around with the guys in Creator and Destruction and kind of, like, looking back at the totality of, German thrash and kind of be like, what is it about us that like you know unites us or you know or if it's just like whatever you know, yeah we, we do what we do. <laughs> yeah, in the beginning we were big friends with Creator. You know? we hanging together, you know, and, and drinking beers and and um, sort of what the first band to get a record deal was SBB, you know, and uh, Creator. This time, you know, they, they they were called Tormentor. That was the first band name of the band, you know. We were big friends, you know, and. Um, we respect each other, you know. There was no problems, you know, because he's a better guitarist, he's a better songwriter, whatever, you know. 
we respect I respect what they do and they respect what, what we did, you know. Sure. We were big friends in the beginning. You know? Yeah. Good. That's good to hear. Chris Witch Antoyano was was a big friend with Sula, the drummer of, of Creator, you know. Nowadays the time can change. I think they go their own way and we go through this, you know, that's um, but in the beginning we were friends, you know. Mm-hmm. You just heard Sodomy and Lust from Experts of Sodomy, the EP from 1987. Then a trio of tunes before that from Obsessed by Cruelty. We heard uh, Nuketamaran, Proselytism Real, and Death Like Silence. Then we opened up with a pair of tunes from In the Sign of Evil, uh, Witching Metal, and Bursts Command to War. And then we also heard from uh, our, our friend Tom Angel Ripper there. So it was very nice, very nice. Um, Sodomy and Lust, that last tune you kind of heard there. Uh, first off, I think I probably heard it for the first time from Cradle of Filth. Um, you know, Did they cover that. Yeah, they covered it on Cruelty and the Beast, and it's pretty cool. It's you know, Danny kind of sounds like Cartman from South Park. On it. <laughs> <laughs> Weird, uh, but well, he know, had the like. I think his strong suit was the the shrieks. Yeah, and the yeah. more the lower King Diamond stuff was always kind of hit and miss for me. I've yeah. been listening to that stuff in years, but that was my it's, it's my remembrance of it. I put it on because I was like, I kind of forgot they did that. Uh, that it was a Sodom cover, right? Because Sodomy yeah. and Lust almost sounds like a Cradle of Filth song title from that era, right? Or, so or like, an album, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Exhumed actually did a pretty rock and cover of Sodomy and Lust as well. It's uh, pretty interesting. Nice. And I guess what you hear in that song is, you know, the chaos is toned down, um, you know, and black and thrash perfection is kind of starting to be achieved here. And when that riff at two minutes kicks in with that fucking incredible, like palm muting and the blazing solo, Tom's vocals are a little bit more improved, obviously a little bit more kind of, you know, polished, I suppose. Honed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Honed it to me, it's a real musical evolution. And I said, this is kind of German, German thrash is haunting the chapel. Where like, you know, there's very, I mean, there's EPs that come out that are are drastic changes. But if you listen to like Show No Mercy and Hell Awaits, you know, Haunting the Chapel does such like a fucking, you know, turn, right? It almost does the opposite turn. It takes like Slayer into savagery more, you know, whereas yeah. this is out of savagery but uh it's kind of that type of band almost like reformulating itself and and, you know that's kind of what people use dp sometimes for to like experiment with different ideas but to me this is one of the best most potent eps in terms of like really pulling like a 180 or at least a 90 degree turn for a band um that's going to obviously impact the rest of their careers you know i mean this is a turn that's going to shape them for decades and that's yeah i think with you know with with harris johns and Frank Blackfire coming in on this. Yeah. There's like yeah. uh Paris Johns, I put he he brought the beef. Like there's yes. like there the everything's like beefed up and heavier. Like the the heavy that we thought from American Thrash that was always on the palm muted chunky riff. Uh-huh. And all the, the previous stuff I feel like you know, as as much as I like it, it didn't really highlight that chug that yeah. becomes kind of what Sodom is known for since. Yep. And as Mark alluded to, um, you know, Frank's arrival came at a time when Sodom, you know, to some extent weren't completely serious when compared to like maybe Creator or or Destruction, you know, with some of the sloppy production and the fantasy occult lyrics. And Frank is the one that convinces Tom that Thrash was moving away from horror and occult uh, of kind of venom towards stuff like war and social themes and things like that. And um, I found it interesting in that 
interview from 2011 from Jay Bennett, the the opening of the interview, the first couple of questions kind of speak to this a little bit, or at least to like, you know, like things that Tom writes about from this point forward. And uh, Jay asks him, he says, has it become a challenge for you over the years to find new ways to write about war? And he says, I don't just write about war, but I always write about the bad things in the world. We write about economic injustice, child abuse, terrorism, religious fanaticism, but war is all around, you know? I looked at the news on the TV today and a couple of German soldiers were hurt in Afghanistan again. I think a thrash metal band has to write about the bad things in the world. War for me is the worst thing, but it's a good inspiration for writing lyrics. I hate cliche lyrics like man of war. I read about life, the real things that happen in the world. To be a singer in a thrash metal band, you get a chance to scream aloud on stage, you know? We can't change anything. I'm not politically active, but I can scream aloud. And then Jay asks, of course, 2011, very different time period. He says, America's wars in Iraq and Afghanistan seem like obvious sources of inspiration. Is there anything specific about them that you're addressing in the new album? I think the album at the time is In War and Pieces from 2011. Mm -hmm. He says, no, it's, it's not just these wars. I read about Vietnam, World War II. I think every war is the same shit. But my opinion is, get the soldiers back home, also the German soldiers in Afghanistan. To me, that is what the song God Bless You is about. It's the last words a mother says to her son when he goes to the war. It's a good inspiration for writing lyrics. But I want to live in a peaceful world. I don't need any war because a lot of innocent people are going to die too. And that is what I hate. There's so much things I hate when I see the newspapers that makes me uh, angry, that makes me sad. So for me, it's very emotional to write lyrics about this, but it's just what I have to write about. And then he asks some, uh, Jay says, you have some military experience of your own. He says, yeah, I've been uh, in the German Luftwaffe for 15 months in 83 and 84. We have to do it as part of a military service, but it's not like war, you know. We learned a lot of drinking there. I remember that was a good experience. And he says, did you enjoy your service? He says, not really, because we were just, you just get 300 marks. You get free, you get food for free, drinks for free. Why no money? But at this time, it was usual to go to the military service. You could do a civil service job for two years. Most people wanted to do civil jobs in the hospital or kindergarten or whatever. But I took the decision to do military service for 15 months and then coming back home, you know. So kind of interesting. I didn't know. I mean, it, it makes sense because a lot of those Europeans have to do the kind of, you know, mandatory service of some sort, civil or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I remember hearing you know about that for like, you know, Edge of Sanity and a handful of other bands that like, why did this guy shot, you know, cut his hair? It's like, oh, mandatory military service. I think Finland had the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so all this kind of comes together in Persecution Mania. Like, like Mark said, this is, you know, um, this is the album that introduces their gas mask uh, mascot, uh, Kanar Heinz. I don't know. Heinz. I don't, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, and he kind of becomes. It's basically like, like Gun Joe, if it was a yeah. US guy. Like Heinz is a very common German name. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I never really, I, I, I didn't know he had a name, just like I didn't know that <clears throat> like um, Murray was the name of the guy for Dio. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it, they never talked about it anywhere. That was, it was like kind of an insider thing. But yeah, this you is. is knew, you knew Eddie and you knew uh, Megadeth's like. Uh, Vic Rattlehead. Vic Rattlehead. Yeah. But yeah. yeah a lot of and even like, like Creator, I don't know if Creator's guy has a name. I don't know if I've ever heard it, but like the the guy with the the demon head with the teeth guy, sure, sure, who's been on. I mean, I would say most of their even. I think he's even on renewal in some yeah, he capacity. Looks like the Marvel character, the um, Lucifer from Marvel, the way he's like drawn, you know. Yeah, minus the hair. Yeah, yeah. So 
kind of interesting. Or maybe it's uh, is it Belf Belfagor? Uh, not Belfagor. He's in like uh, he's in like the Magic comics with like New Mutants and stuff like that. Um, it's not. It's it's not Lucifer. It's like one of his like sergeants because he has short hair, um, kind of like the the creator dude. But anyways, I'm, I'm diverting. That's a, yeah, that's outside my my realm of expertise expertise. But they uh, you know this is a time they toured Europe with Whiplash, Destruction, and Coroner, um, and they did their only North American tour ever, which is crazy. Sodom's never done another North American tour. Yeah, he mentioned that quite a bit that like, you know, people ask him what he'd like to do. He's like, he'd like to do a, a large tour of America. Yeah. I figure, I feel like at this point in time, like it would make sense. If they could get linked up with like a couple of the right bands, it, it would, I think it would work fine. You know, or, or like festival stuff. Yeah. Like, how many times has, have I seen destruction or have you seen destruction? You didn't care. I've still <laughs> seen Sodom at one of the metal fests in 97 or 98. I don't remember now. I, I can't. I thought I did, but I'm. I'm like, I don't. I don't have any pictures of it. I don't. I, know I didn't write saw, anything about it. Did we see destruction in '97, like the Reformation? I think so. Kind of yeah. Okay. So maybe it was in '98 that Sodom played, and that was the year you didn't go. Oh, of course. I didn't and see Emperor, and I didn't see Emperor. Sodom. Yeah, so I think Sodom <laughs> might have played that year. But okay. Sodom's actually playing at Maryland Death Fest, the the Thursday night show, uh, the pre-show. Oh, this coming yeah, part, year. Yeah, part of me wanted to to try and get a, a ticket just, just so I could see Sodom, but we'll see. I think it's almost all sold out, but maybe we could try and probably, I mean, I'd like to see Dismember too, but I've got, I have a, a son coming in January. So yeah. I don't know how, uh, how realistic that not. is. And plus like, yeah, it's, I, it's, 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 it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to have bigger fish to fry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> More important things. I've never seen Dismember, you know? So we'll yeah. See. I mean, the last time I saw him was in 92. I mean, I can still be somewhat of an irresponsible human being, although I do have a girlfriend right now. So we'll we'll see how that goes. You know, like, well, you no, know. even my my partner's like, you know, you you might you might want to go do that. I was like, ah, I have to wait till and see. Sure. It's yeah, like I don't right. I don't know how I'm going to feel about the whole thing, but that would be like this member is starting to come around again. They're putting out all the records out again, and it's not going to be the last time they're going to play. Sure, sure. Um, so speaking of persecution mania. One of the things I think inspired a lot of this, I think I, I may have mentioned, maybe it's off mic, I can't remember, but um, there's a website called Worship Metal, and I'm trying to think who wrote the article. Uh, a guy named Chris Jennings. This is actually from 2019, and it's uh, German Thrash, the 35 greatest old school albums. And here's what they had to say about Persecution Mania. Um, they said, uh, Sodom's second full-length album marked a notably drastic change of sound from the clattering black metal of 1986 obsessed by cruelty to the kind of thrash metal that continues to define Sodom's persona some 30-plus years later. Opening with a vicious nuclear winter, Persecution Mania instantly sets out its uh, stall as Tom Angel Ripper, Frank Blackfire, and Witch Hunter looked to political, social, and war themes for inspiration. This would become a consistent motif as time went on, but was arguably perfected at the first time of asking with Electrocution, the title track itself, and particularly Bommenhagel, delivering the goods as Sodom went about delivering the tightest, meanest, leanest collection of songs in their career. However, for all the plaudits and notable progression and maturity, Persecution Mania would be considered Sodom's uh, greatest achievement if it weren't for the arrival of the outstanding Agent Orange just two years later. But there's more <laughs> on that particular masterpiece further on in this feature. So, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. But um, but yeah, so it's it's a fun record. And like I said, this was kind of the the record that kind of got me back into Sodom. Um, 
you know, like it kind of got me deeper into Sodom because I, I didn't really know how to wrap my head around Obsessed by Cruelty and In the Sign when I first like heard it back in the late 90s. I was like, uh, you know, it's like really hard to penetrate. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what do I do with this? You know, kind of thing. But um, yeah. And so, you know, like you said, they bring in Harris Johns and production too. They go to Music Lab Studios in Berlin. Um, and that's the studio they're going to return to uh, after touring to record their kind of big commercial breakthrough, which is Agent Orange in 1989. And it reached number 36 on the German charts, sold, like you said, Mark, 100,000 in Germany alone. Well, that's uh, back when the charts, it meant more than what they do now. Yeah. Because yeah. like they they lowered what the, you know, what you need to have to chart anymore because the charts became so uh, almost meaningless because people aren't buying music. Well, also too, the charts in the 80s and uh, prior to like 1991, 92 are like, really weird we're not like 100 percent sure on like album sales sometimes because that predates i think sound scan so a yeah. lot of it was like reports from like record stores on like how many like and distributors like and stuff too yeah yeah it was weird so like there's some kind of number fudging there so there's probably some records that like sold way more like i think from what i've heard like some of the subgenres of music are what like get underreported, especially like hip hop and probably some metal and maybe like punk and things like that. They get underreported and pop stuff and mainstream rock got like overreported sometimes, you know? Yeah. So well, also to- like back then, like that wasn't super common. Like all that stuff was thrown in the import section. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, d- I definitely know they weren't getting as many, there weren't as many distributors that were putting that stuff out as compared to, you know, corrosion and conformity or something that was a little bit bigger in the nineties. Sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and you know, agent orange is interesting too, because lyrically it moves into Tom's fascination with Vietnam and, um, you know, it carries the liner note. It says this album is dedicated to all the people and soldiers and civilians who died by senseless aggressions of wars all over the world. And so, you know, I mean, Tom, I think Tom's lyrics and like Sodom's approach to war has always been like, you know, is it glorification? You know, no, I think it's like bolt thrower. It's just kind of like reporting on the, the horrors of war and celebrating the soldiers, whether it's, whether the soldiers are on the right side or the wrong side of history, soldiers are soldiers, right? You know? I mean, it's Um, a, that's, that's the thing is it's uh, the cause might not be valiant or anything, but the, you know, the, the act to serve your country is a noble endeavor. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. like it's a it's a really interesting like duality of the whole thing. Plus, like the the fact that all of our everything we've done for the most part in society that's pushed us forward has been from the fact that we have we have we we can come up with amazing things with our intellect, but we're also murderers, and yeah. that's what got us <laughs> higher up on the food chain. Like we're yeah. brutal. We have a really yeah. like. That's the 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 whole yin and yang is so exactly perfectly right, even though mostly used for, you know, hippie drug rugs and stuff now. But that's like that sums up what we are as a as a species. This stuff yeah, I mean, that we can do incredibly, predators. yeah, incredibly like amazing, altruistic things, and then we can kill somebody because they come on our property. Yeah, like <laughs> there's they they would just be the most cruel possible thing against people that ultimately don't really have anything different outside of, you know, like a border where they, where they live or, you know, what are the, the tint of your skin or something as random as that we're very yeah. tribal. Um, yeah. but I think war is like an endlessly interesting thing for a band to, if you're, if that's what you're going to kind of use is like Sodom's done a good job. Bolter did a great job. Um, the whole term war metal, I don't 
know how many bands throw fall into that because i'm not that, that kind of became a thing after i really yeah. cared about such you know divisions of of metal it was like a kind of a black metal thing for a while um like sure. marduk has a pretty <laughs> pretty huge you know career based off that as well so it's a it's an interesting thing to talk about and how it affects society and everything else i used to i also find it really pretty fascinating that you know german band is like writing a whole album essentially about like an american war it's it's cool right like i think that's an interesting approach you know i mean vietnam obviously had global aspects to it but it is you know in some ways like a, an american war you know and for so, sure i mean it's yeah american hubris and uh, also uniquely uh they have a uniquely in, in, like kind of specific perspective of you know people that weren't involved with the atrocities of world war ii but they're very aware of <laughs> all the bad things of war and have, i think have an interesting perspective on on it because of that and like just like yeah. how the if you talk to anybody oh you're from germany immediately what do you you know what do you think of oktoberfest yeah. nazis yeah so yeah it is interesting to like you know be a country that's reputation is predicated on being on the wrong side of history on on war <laughs> you know yeah and then writing an album about a war where clearly the quote-unquote good guys were on the wrong side of history you know mm -hmm. and that's it's kind of it is a kind of really fascinating approach um, yeah because it's you can you can critique you know your own country without having to go there you know yeah yeah no it's, it's interesting and it's uh, you know i teach a lot about vietnam in my class especially my global studies class we do a big cold war vietnam unit and it's it's endlessly fascinating that war is you know just to sort of look at like the just the ripple effects i'm not going to go into it because most of our listeners already know that kind of stuff but it's it's a it's an interesting subject matter to to base an album kind of on yeah you know, i mean agent orange obviously the the title itself about you know the 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 defoliant that was used in the war that obviously led to a lot of problems and stuff but um yeah yeah um, yeah it was our our so after we drop the bomb like what's the next grossest thing we can do to people <laughs> yeah no shit. but um i wanted to return back to that terrorizer real quick for one last little thing that they said it said uh you know this is kind of just a little macro it's not specifically sodom but kind of more looking at like the german scene a little and it said so what happened in germany in the 80s that made these people collectively come up with brilliant history changing thrash metal albums what makes the Teutonic approach so special and so markably different from albums belonging to the same metal genre, only recorded in Los Angeles or wherever? It's always hard to pinpoint these things, and our two big men actually have conflicting viewpoints on this. Let's throw them both into the ring. So here you go, Mark. Here's two 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 viewpoints on it. I never saw that much of a difference, to be honest. Millet from Creator starts, surprisingly. I'm sure the Americans would probably disagree, but I think the differences between the Germans and the Bay Area have always been minimal. Of course, we're German, and we used to have a more pronounced German accent when we were singing while the Americans were singing in their mother tongue. That might seem like a minor detail, but I think the accents made the German and European scene in general a bit unique in feeling. But that's the biggest difference as far as we were aware. Then there were, of course, differences in the way of doing things. The Americans were generally more dedicated. They did a lot more touring in a way that German bands did not. All right. So there's perspective one. Here's perspective two. Tom, on the other hand, has an almost opposite opinion. Quote, I love American thrash. I'm a huge Exodus fan and Slayer is one of my favorites nowadays, he remarks as an introduction. But I do think the two styles are very different. 
the area where we come from in Germany is full of coal mines and factories, very dirty everywhere. It's actually similar to how it was like for Venom in Newcastle, for example, or Raven. I think the American sound of Bay Area was much uh, was more high polished. I mean, they would stop the music and go to the beach and enjoy their sunny days. <laughs> that necessarily makes a difference in the sound. When you start doing music in front of a coal mine, it'll be different than if you're looking at the beach. The money matters too. My father was a coal miner and we never had much money. He never gave me enough to buy a bass guitar or anything. I had to save up for a long time to get one. We never had that kind of support from our parents or from the city where we lived. We had to do everything on our own. Even the lyrics would be very different depending on the environment. Listen to old Sodom and then listen to old Exodus or Slayer and it's obvious. So, oh, what are your thoughts? On I, I mean, I would, I would, I think agree with Tom more than, than Miller. I think, I don't know exactly what Miller's background was, yeah, I mean, but he always seemed the, you know, more educated, more erudite than most of the other guys. Yeah. That's um, true. He's always kind of had more of a cause instead of more, he was more overtly political instead of talking about political subjects in a broad way, like, like Tom usually does. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think like maybe he might have something with the talking about like the, the dialect because they definitely had like the, a screechier, more, sharp delivery you know that, that definitely got it led to the i think the second wave of black metal kind of vibe with the 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 more high-pitched you know like the even like you know tampa from at the gates or michael stani yeah. or somebody's that type of approach to um extreme vocals i think that the extreme vocal part is the most the thing that always clicked with me like what really was the difference between them and you know exodus because sound wise it's not it might be a little like leaner on the on the bottom end but um vocally was always what like like holy crap what is this yeah well and i think too like you know you can also throw like the brazilian scene into that and some others you know like mm-hmm. max's kind of accent and volcano's accent and uh you know I, I, the way that the, the, the max pronounces stuff it makes it like so much more endearing than if it was just like you know bay area <laughs> american yeah. voice Mass I mean, hypnosis. Like, yeah, and I mean, like we we obsessively laughed and like refused resist because we used to think like when he's like when Max says like uh, we used to think it was starting to fart, starting <laughs> <laughs> like, like we, we like died in high school. We didn't know what he, the fuck he was saying there for, for a the war for a territory. War for te- yeah, it was great, you know, but it, it does add a lot of character, you know. For yeah, sure. I think English as a second language adds a lot of charm in my in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So the album uh, Agent Orange made it to Worship Metal did their top five German thrash albums of all time. And this cracked the top five. And here's what they they had to say. It says, bidding a fond farewell to the knuckle-dragging sound of their obsessed by cruelty debut and harnessing the considerable progress made on Persecution Mania, Sodom tickled the fancy of the mainstream with their third album, Agent Orange, and the world stood up and took notice. Think of a superlative, and it applies to this album. Originality, quality, intensity, variety, and technicality all ring true. Still capable of thrashing up a storm, it was on the mid-paced chug of Remember the Fallen and Magic Dragon, where Sodom's monumental progress took form. Reveling in a confidence that allowed Agent Orange compositions to breathe, their less-is-more approach reaped endless benefits with thrillingly expansive dynamics well and truly achieved. 
As deadly effective as the title would suggest, Agent Orange stood out in what was obviously a banner year for Thrash. After all, to hold your own against the mighty uh, Sepultura beneath the remains and creator's extreme aggression, amongst many others, takes some doing. But Sodom proved more than worthy of the challenge of their greatest ever album. So that's uh, pretty pretty big words there, I would say. Yeah, um, definitely a fan. I I think uh, it's it's not my favorite Sodom, but it's uh, it's definitely you know kind of the if you look at the the next you know twenty some plus years of their career, like they kind of set the the groundwork. It's, yeah, it's, it's probably the one that has like the biggest commercial impact, certainly, and outside of like the the black metal influence, it has probably the longest lasting legacy. You know, besides their early stuff, you know, with with black metal, probably. You know? Yeah, I feel like it, it takes more, um, and I think I don't when the first Sacred Rake album came out, but it has that more vibe of thrash than what mm-hmm. the previous couple records did. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Decibel did a thrash metal, uh, top 50 thrash metal albums of all time, a special collector's edition, uh, which unfortunately, Mark, you didn't do the cover for. You did most that of was the before. Food. That was before. That, that's like a dude riding a surfboard or something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, but Sorry, uh, I, did a, I did the old school metal albums, which kind of doubled up. The black metal one. You did the... The death metal one, Doom. Uh, I think there's four in total. Yeah, yep. And so but, uh, it's time to do another one, Albert. I know. Come on, Albert. Get it. Get it together. Let's let's do. I got mouths to feed. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it does crack the top thirty of their top fifty. Um, Agent Orange comes in at number twenty-eight, in between Slayer, South of Heaven at twenty-seven, and Pantera, Cowboys from Hell. So there you go. Um, and Gene Fury wrote about it. it. Says Thrash's tight denim pucker was pillaged by Sodom's dark ferociousness. <laughs> in the that form of a great movie. intro. Yeah, uh, it's no wonder this German trio's demonic stylings influenced black metal. Here, the Vietnam War fueled Tom Angel Ripper's lyrics, relayed in a beastly rasp over a thrash and burn sonic attack. The album was also big on deviance, with songs about sibling incest, a mom's twisted desire to bone her daughter's boyfriend, and uh. The immortality of bullfighting. Mess with this bull, and in the end, you get the horns. So, there you go. <laughs> All right. And then finally, uh, this is from the booklet for the, the anniversary edition of Agent Orange, which they put out in um, 2010. And uh, this is from Tom Angel Ripper, his own writings. And he kind of writes in a semi-cursive, so I'm going to do my best. It's, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, uh, listeners, but as you get older, uh, reading uh, small uh, detailed uh, liner notes gets tougher and tougher with your. Oh, eyes. you don't have your cheaters. Oh no, I'm not there yet. I'm Do you got your to... contacts in? Uh, I got my glasses on, so I'm good. I'm okay, because what if I pop my contacts out? I can read the smallest thing. Then you can, yeah, yeah, no problem. It says, "Oh my God, it's already been 20 years since Agent Orange is first been jerked into the racks of the record shops." <laughs> oh, time flies. I like thinking back to the glorious days, especially because it's been the album which completely turned my life and lives of my pals upside down. After the successful debut of uh, 87's Persecution Mania with Frank Blackfire and guitar, the record label, as well as the fans and magazines, claimed an album which would fill the shoes of Persecution Mania without copying it. In the past years, we've consistently been torn to pieces by the press or been even ignored. But the solid headwind we encountered enhanced our upswing. Despite all requirements and expectations, we succeeded in recording an album, which also met our personal taste of a well-produced and resonant pumping album. 
Due to our former producer, Harris Johns, we've been able to conflate the songs and fragments we cobbled together at a rehearsal room to one holistic musical artwork. He was the person who consistently encouraged us to get the most out of us, and he was the only one to know our strong and weak points. He managed to draw a bow between the spirit of the old day, oh, days and the musical taste of the 80s, uh, drawing to a close. At that, at that time, we regarded him as a fourth band member. The album uh, is has been mixed and refined at the Horace Sound Studio in Hanover under the direction of Frank Borneman, whom we've had a lot of fun with, although we're not always been easy to handle. We've always been uh, jaunty, often unmotivated, and most of the time barely sober. But we've made it. But we've made it. Uh, also, the cover, which has been drawn exactly due to my ideas and blueprints by the famous artist from Berlin, Andreas Marshall, accounted for the success of the album. The motive was accurately suited to the concept of my lyrics, the creative interplay between the band producer Harris Johns, the artist Andreas Marshall, and the label SPV Steamhammer finally contribute to the fact that Agent Orange is reckoned among the most important releases of Sodom by many of the fans. Uh, Since success sometimes also bears down uh, sides, there was a growing unrest within the band. After the production was finished, we couldn't look in each other's eyes and only drunken stupor enabled communication between us. At last, we all knew that one of us had to go to prevent escalation of the situation. Later, Frank Frank quit quit for finding self-actualization elsewhere. In the previous years, we basically developed our own philosophy, which didn't deal with uh, chart positions or sales figure. Nevertheless, Asian Orange achieved position 36 of the media control charts, a first thrash album at all. Uh, nobody had reckoned with this. The time, uh, almost all at the time, almost all of record reviews were positive. And for the first time in our career, we were accepted as a band uh, and as musicians. As already mentioned, Frank left us before we could start the European tour, which was already booked. When uh, we then made the tour with guest guitarist Uwe Baltrush, who did a professional and pleasant job. Anyways, Agent Orange offered the possibility to live on making music. I quit at work as a coal mine locksmith so I could hur- uh, so I could hurl myself into the adventure of becoming a rock star. However, success wouldn't settle in without the fans. It's been like that in former times and always will be. Therefore, I'd like to thank you all sincerely for your support. Um it's plaintive that Chris Witch Hunter can't commemorate the 20th anniversary of Agent Orange first release with us. May he find his place in his merited peace in rock and roll heaven. Hiya, Chris. I drink a beer to you. Tom Angel Ripper, 2010. So pretty cool. There yeah, you go. I've heard a little bit different of why Frank left, but um, did you see that? Because I've heard one thing from him where he was, uh, he said he was sick of drunk people trying to play the riffs that he put so much effort into, and then he left have, to join Creator. I have heard that as well. Yes, um, and I think that's kind of when things started to, you know, clean up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because Frank's going to leave and join Creator uh, and do Coma yeah, Souls for Coma Souls. Yeah, probably one of I would one of my top three Creator albums. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they're going to tour with uh, Sepultura. So kind of a, a big, big tour for Beneath the Remains and Agent Orange. You know, that would have been a fun tour to see, I'm sure. Yeah, being Chrisane. Yeah. So let's get into the music on these two records. Uh, these kind of two, you know, kind of turning point records, you know, for a lot of people, kind of the peak of probably their traditional thrash style, maybe. You know, it's hard to say. Um, 
we're a kickstart with the the album opener to Persecution Mania, Nuclear Winter. Um, one thing I, I noticed in doing this, uh, you know, putting this together is Sonoma are kind of known for their fantastic album openers. They really kind of like come out the gate pretty strong. That's kind of one of their. Yeah, they're just kind of blazing. Um, and Nuclear Winter definitely doesn't disappoint. I mean, in a lot of ways, phase two of Sodom is born at the 130 mark of nuclear winter. Mm-hmm. All the developments kind of come together here. Frank solos, Witch Hunter is more controlled, but still pretty fierce drums. Tom's kind of new vocal approach. And then it kind of all locks in at like the 310 mark. And that fucking bass part that goes right into the solo is really fucking awesome in nuclear winter. Yeah, um, just the bass in general is more audible. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they kind of like split it up from the whatever the frequency of the guitars are. So it's not as matching that quite so much actually it's more of a kind of like uh it kind of bleeds in between everything it's great yeah i i I'm definitely became a bigger fan of the the stuff that tom does on bass it's probably something i didn't really hone in on until putting this album or this episode together you know yeah i would i would agree he was it was always kind of just serviceable but um i don't know because there's also a couple like fan re-edits that i was listening to on youtube uh-huh where it makes it gives it kind of more of a full spectrum of sound okay so for, you like, could you can hear songs it. or certain albums uh there's one for persecution mania where somebody actually just they re-edited the whole thing i didn't listen to the whole thing i just listened to a couple songs here and there but huh. there's some interesting stuff yeah can check that out yeah I didn't, I didn't play around too too much in there then we get uh christ passion kind of our first epic sodom song you know we mm-hmm. that's gonna be something they're gonna do a lot more of throughout their career got some kind of doomy kind of more morbid moods to it i, I would say um, love the chorus and that shift at three minutes is like pretty fucking godly. And it's one of my favorite Frank guitar solos of the whole record is on Christ passion. Really, really good. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, bomb and Hagel, uh, for mention it's, it's goofy, patriotic, uh, brilliantly catchy as all hell. Um, well, kind of tongue in cheek, patriotic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. The, but like, I mean, it's, it means literally hail of bombs. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's definitely a critique, but it's it's playing around with the national anthem and, and some of that kind of stuff, the German national anthem. But I mean, it's still tough. Like, I you know, I urge you not to belt out a couple of like fuck yeahs driving around with like the windows down on a warm summer day. Listen to Bomb and Hoggle, you know, like, oh, yeah, I mean, it, it almost reminds me of like, um, like a, a spiritual successor to like Fast as a Shark that has the. Yeah, you know, the traditional German music in the beginning of it. Yeah, then blast well, into like it. You could, but you could kind of draw a line in a weird way. Work with me here. Like fast as a shark to this to like fucking death crush. Yeah, it's just got that like <laughs> that fucking punky bass breakdown. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a less evil version of like death crush or something like that. So it's it's pretty fun. The one, even so, yeah, the the I think the the drum fills in this start to remind me more of of Lars from Metallica. They come in places where you don't necessarily expect them to be. And they almost seem like an, like a weird, like afterthought, like somebody who's not, who's not, cause that Lars has never, his strong suit has never been being a drummer. It's being putting percussion in, in places that don't make any sense, but somehow it works a lot of the time. Yeah. In the, in the, you know, first five records, not especially like, yeah, lately, especially but, you know, injustice and, and some of that stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so you throw those three tunes together with Persecution Mania, which we open the whole show up, and you get a pretty good <clears throat> overview of what you know is going on in this record. And then we got uh, a trio of tunes from Agent Orange. Um, 
another album opening classic you know biting lyrics this is uh the title track agent orange uh that touch on some of the you know deeply disturbing you know consequences of you know u.s foreign policy yeah fire that doesn't burn you know that whole thing i mean that this is like the first vocal hook almost because right after he says that then we just get that nice chug yeah some you know slayerish riffs going on it's uh everything is just it seems much more uh calculated in a good way like they know what like what to build on not to use so many riffs like we've got four three or four riffs let's just like tweak these and make them work and you know have like there's breakdowns which i've never you know disliked no (laughs) that's like your entry point for a lot of people like oh this is so fast and weird but then oh there's that one spot where i can like you know i can headbang to and that feels like it's you know i can understand it well, we definitely like, you know, Frank's guitar bit, like the, I think the 240 mark, I said smokes and then the war samples are pretty effective. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, the part that for me always jumped out is the, you know, this kind of a cool acoustic little part uh, that you get when you get to like tired and red, right? Mm-hmm. That's like the part. And it's almost like, it's weird to say this because obviously I don't think it had any influence, but it reminds me of like when it comes in, it's like kind of like what early Opeth would do where like they would just like kind of cascade into like an acoustic part and yet it like fit really well and it was a nice transition to like the next riff or something like that yeah um, and i mean it's got like you know metallica vibes but also like um when the sun burns red from coma souls yeah that's another good one uh, it breaks into that one but yep. uh, also on on uh, agent orange the the track mm-hmm. the guitar actually mimics or like kind of like plays with the vocal line which I don't think we've ever had in a Sodom song up until then no no and it's gonna be something they're gonna do a lot more of you know throughout um but yeah I mean Tired and Red you know like it's got this off the rail sort of speed in that opening kind of first couple minutes and then that fucking transition into the acoustic part you know is is really great um utterly fucking you know catchy mosh riff that Frank kind of proceeds a solo over Mm-hmm. I mean, Tiger and Red is definitely one of my favorite Sodom songs, truly. I mean, it's it's one I always return to. and I think it's got a real Kirk Hammett solo vibe, yeah, too, like at the peak of his powers. Yeah. No, that's that's a good, good. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good guy. I was trying to think who Frank kind of reminded me of. And I think Kirk Kirk's a good, a good, you know, guitar player. Not a whole. I mean, and even though I think it's his last, I think, um, Tapping the Veins is Frank's last record, isn't it? No, he leaves after this one. Yeah. Oh, so he's not even on it. But that kind of vibe goes over onto Tapping the Vein, where I was like, some of this sounds like if Metallica would have like completely done a 180 after Injustice, yeah. they, they might have done stuff that was on Tapping the Vein musically. I could see. Yeah, that's uh, Andy Brings. We'll, we'll talk about him okay. a little bit more. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we we sort of end with uh Augs Augs bombed, uh, which means bombed out. And or or like, destroyed by bombs. Destroyed by bombs, yeah. <laughs> Family house destroyed by bombs. Yep. Total, uh, yeah, exactly. Punk energy. You know what yep. the biggest thing that jumped out, the bass tone, it reminded me of like Impaled Nazarene, Tsunami Finland, Parakella. Okay. I can see very that. like yeah. bass forward, which is basically motorhead, but it's motorhead. it was motorhead through Sodom, I feel. This is sort of a surprising thing that I discovered. Um, Rolling Stone magazine did a top 100 metal albums of all time. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, this album cracked in at number 63. In between really? Godflesh Street Cleaner and Sleeps Jerusalem. Pretty fascinating. <laughs> just like, I don't know what to do with that information. It's just sort of like... Take Who, it who's writing this list? I, I think they have some dedicated people now. Um, I know one of the guys that does a lot of the metal stuff for Rolling Stone is uh, was it Corey Grow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He used to, he used to, write, for he used to write for Decibel and a handful of yeah. others. He's, he's a nice dude. Yeah, we met, him, we met him in uh, New York City uh, when we at went the, at the Gates show. To go there at the Gates. Yeah, he got yeah. like with us or something. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm not saying I really, I don't read Rolling Stone for their metal reviews, but whenever they do like online stuff on metal, like somebody like there's a couple competent people who kind of sort of know what they're doing. It's not all like hipster bullshit or something, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, and you know, forty years in or whatever, I should hope they take it seriously to some degree. You hope so. You hope so. So, all right. So, yeah, we're gonna tackle the the two big monsters that end the eighties uh, for uh, Sodom here with Persecution Mania and Agent Orange. So we have trio from Persecution Mania to start things off. Nuclear Winter, Christ Passion, Bomb and Hoggle, and then we got a trio from Agent Orange. Uh, the title track, Tired and Red, and Ogs Bombed, and then we'll hear from Tom once again. Let's 
Die, 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 die
regard to Sodom, your sound seemed to kind of evolve fairly quickly. You know, how would you describe the kind of sound and style of the early work and then the shift that you started to take with like Persecution Mania and some of those like later 80s records? Step, you know, from Sis to Persecution Mania, you know, we changed the music, we changed the lyrics, I know. But I think the most important thing is that we got a producer for the first time, you know. The producer of the first or two records was um, Horst Müller, who also produced Celtic Frost and Running Wild, you know. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of problems with him, you know. He was not really interested in producing a band, you know. It just, it just, he just recorded the stuff, you know. We, he never helped us doing it better, you know. And then we uh, came to Harris Jones when they were released, Express of Solomon be the first single, you know. This was a, like a fourth band member. He really helped us, you know. And he told us, okay, when you're recording an album, don't drink so much, you know. <laughs> Take your time. Try to do it the best in the best way, you know. And in the end, there was persecution media, you know. Yeah. And that really changed, you know. I don't know if we had a producer who was obsessed by culture and the son of evil, what will be the result, you know. But um, persecution media, that was really... It's, it's really important to say that Harris Jones really, really helped us, you know. Yeah, it seems like... From, from that time, you know, what Persecution Media called, nothing changed, you know. Yeah. If you listen if you listen to Persecution Media or the, the latest release, it's the same. I was going to say, that's kind of like where the, the second form of Sodom seems to be born, right? That that second yes. wave, absolutely. And, and that never changed. We tried to write, get better songs, you know, 
try to get better musicians, whatever, you know, but but we never really change, you know. That is always the same music. Mm-hmm. It seems like your lyrics kind of started to change around that time too. Where did kind of, I guess, your fascination with the politics of war and some of those things come into play? Was that something you've always been interested in as a band? Um, because you kind of, it seems like you kind of replaced the fantasy kind of Venom lyrics of the first couple of records and then went into more the, the war and nuclear winter and, and even up until yeah. modern times. Yeah, I, you know, in these times, the chess by Kurt in the sort of era was really interested in, in Alistair Crowley and all this stuff, you know. Yeah. It makes me really sick, you know. I stopped writing songs about this, you know. And um, I took the decision writing songs about life, you know. Yeah. And the war is life, you know. It's And when you're going to see TV news or reading newspapers, I was really interested in historical things, you know, like Vietnam War and all that stuff, you know. That inspired me writing lyrics, you know. Till nowadays, you know. Sure. And uh, you know, I don't want to write fantasy lyrics, you know. I want to, but I don't want to write about the big political themes, you know. I just want to write about the small war between two soldiers, yeah. man against man, you know, the war of the small man, of soldiers, you know, and. Yes, and it's something that inspired me all the time, you know. So nowadays I start not writing lyrics about the war, you know, and all the stuff, you know. That you know, I cannot change I know that I cannot change anything with this kind of lyrics, you know. But I can scream it all on stage. You know? Yeah. No, it's a, a form of catharsis and frustration at the the human condition, you know, and things like that. I, I get it, you know. As a history teacher, I'm constantly talking about this stuff. And I can't change it, you know, but it's like, it, it still feels good to have those conversations and, you know. Yeah, it, it helps me, you know, it's like a therapy, you know, mm-hmm. screaming out on stage. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there is, but there is no political opinion in the songs, you know, it's just, it's just like a, like a war movie. It's, it's just, so the same way I write the lyrics, you know, and um, we never find any political opinion, so no. Yeah. It's almost a more of a documentation of just the, the you know the effects yeah. of war and, and yeah but you know. but the documentation helped me to understand you know when I'm going to write about Vietnam or World War Two whatever you know oh my grandfather told me stories you know about the World War he was fighting in the World War One you know yeah wow and um, I remember some stuff of it it's this is something I'm going to write down all the time yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely I guess. Looking back at those those early records, do you have kind of personal favorites from Insign, Obsessed, and Persecution that you, you're particularly proud of decades later? You're like, oh, that's that's a really great example of that era of Sodom, or is it just kind of all your children? You know, you love them all equally, I guess. <laughs> I love them all, you know. I think Agent Orange changed my life, you know, that is that is true. Because that, that was a time when I stopped, when, when I quit my job in a coal mine, you know, and I got um, I got my money from a record company every month, you know, so I could, could make my leave from the music and spend more time with the band touring, studio jobs, rehearsing, whatever, you know. That was a big step in my life, you know. And so I think Agent Orange is not my favorite album, you know. But this album coming to the coming to the right times, you know, at the end of the eighties, you know, and was really really successful in these times, you know. For me. Helps me quitting my job in a coal mine, you know. That's what I really 
appreciate, you know, and I will never forget it, you know. Sure, yeah. But I love them all, you know, I love them. You know, when we did the, um, the 40 years Semper, you know, we listened to all the albums, the whole band, you know. So it was really funny because if you listen to Obsessed by Cruelty or in the, in the Son of Evil, you know, a couple of songs were completely out of tuning, you know, and out of timing, you know. And when we covered our own songs, we, we, we do it in a more accurate way, you know. We have a better drummer nowadays, and but we try to keep the spirit of the old songs, you know. Yeah. And, um, but we did it, you know. People really liked the cover songs, the solo cover songs. Were there songs when you guys went back through that 40 year journey that kind of like you reappraised and you're like, oh my God, I forgot like how much we love this song or, you know what I mean? Like in songs you hadn't really thought about for a long time or? I, we, we forgot to play the song, you know. <laughs> so, 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 we, so when we choose the songs for the set list for the uh, 40 years, you know, we don't want to do the classics. We don't want to do the hit singles from each album, you know. Yeah. There are so many good songs on every album, you know, completely underrated songs, songs we never play live or we never rehearse, you know. So that was really funny to, to listen to Equinox, you know, it was obsessed by cruelty songs, you know. What to hell, I played on the guitars, you know. It was really, but you know, it helps us shooting these songs for the next upcoming set, for the live shows, you know. Yeah. No, that it was really funny, you know, so many remembrance coming back when we played Obsessed for Cruelty stuff or Inner Sound of Eel, you know. That was really crazy, you know. But um, we, we, we just chose one song from each album, you know. And that was really hard to do because oh, there are so many albums with no fillers on it, you know. Mm -hmm. If you go to M16 or Get What You Deserve, you know, I like all the songs. Sure, yeah, absolutely. That was Augs Bombed from Agent Orange, Tired and Red, Agent Orange, and then we heard Bomb and Hoggle, Christ Passion, and Nuclear Winter from Perse Persecution Mania. We also heard once again from our good friend Tom Angel Ripper there. So thank you, Tom. Um, so yeah, so we're going to kind of keep the train rolling. Uh, I think a lot of the, the heavy lifting has been done. We're kind of through the era that's probably the most like academically looked at era of Sodom, which is their 80s period, but... Um, well, the most turbulent too, you know, those, those early years, I think really kind yeah, of shaped where they're going to go. A lot of turnover and stuff like that. But now we get into a, a period where I would say this is maybe the rough spot for Sodom and not in like, because these albums are bad, but it's just a lot of band turnover. Um, they're, they're trying a lot of different styles throughout, you know yeah. what I mean? And um, I mean, it, it, for example, 1990, we get better off dead. Um not based on the movie. Um, oh, and you bring in, yeah, I know. That'd be cool. A concept album on Better Off Dead. You can bring in Michael Hoffman on guitar. And of course, the album opens, um, the title track opens with the iconic sample from uh, Dolph Lundgren's Punisher. Um, you know, <laughs> what is punishment? <laughs> Which is funny because I know it more. I never saw the Dolph Lundgren uh, Punisher. Not in. I don't think I did. I don't remember it if I did. Oh, I was so fucking excited when that thing came out. Were you? I had just. Oh, heard and it was just a turd. It was such a turkey. Yeah. So I never actually rented it because I just heard it was bad. But where I know that sample from, and probably people of my generation, probably more than than yours, is fucking Biohazard used it in the song Punishment. And I never knew where that sample. <laughs> I didn't came know that from. either. 
Yeah, the like, what is the what is punishment or whatever. That's apparently Dolph Lundgren saying it in the movie. So, anyway, okay, I didn't, I, I didn't get into Biohazard as much as uh, people a couple years younger, but yeah, I was gonna say, you know, Urban Discipline, man, that that shit was where it was at. Um, but, I, I, and, I found out more about him when uh, I was like, oh yeah, that guy, and then he's like, oh, I'm a porn star now. It's like yeah, oh, Evan Seinfeld. Okay, weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was in that fucking shitty ass show um, where he lived in a house with like Scotty Ian and Ted Nugent and Sebastian Bach or whatever. And they formed a Oh, band. was it like a VH1 show or something? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't God. Remember. What kind of band would that drum- be? I think it was Jason Bonham was the drummer. And it was just like no, a house. Like, Ted Nugent always <laughs> like fighting with Sebastian Bach, I think. And yeah. It might actually, in retrospect, might actually be entertaining to watch now. <laughs> oh, I think it, I think it had its moments. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, Sebastian Bach and Indugent uh, are such fucking loudmouths too that exactly. they would probably be pretty entertaining to watch. Just like bicker at each other. <clears throat> My like girlfriend loves. I mean, I love Gilmore Girls too, but she loves Gilmore Girls. And so like, I'll like we'll be like listening to stuff, and like Skid Row will come out. I'm like, ah, there's Gil. <laughs> fucking selling the sandwiches and she's i like, like that uh, what his what his career move was like that's that's a move that i would not expect and that it was so kept cool. him going for a while i know it was it was very cool you know and i i, I adored him on that show but yeah it was really fun so she and, like you know sebastian bach through gilmore girls not through skid row which is just a really fucking weird <laughs> but also he had uh he had he was on a season of uh trailer park boys oh yeah was it yeah because he's canadian so that yeah. makes sense so it rushes on. I mean, it's, it's, you know, yeah. it goes with the territory, you know, and so better off dead. I was listening to it again today. Um, there's a couple of classic bangers, but it's, it's starting. This is where you get like kind of some inconsistent records throughout the nineties where there might be a couple strong songs, uh, but like as a whole, I don't put like the whole thing on um, tapping the veins, like an exception that, that one, I think like I can listen to pretty much from start to finish, but um, you know, like we're going to listen to a pair of tunes here. Um, one is kind of one of their big staples uh, live. And it's very, I mean, this aches with accept tendencies, which is the saw is the law. It's um, all based on Texas Chainsaw 2, isn't it? Is that what it is? Yeah. I mean, sure. that's what the saw is the law was like. That was the the tagline for that. Yeah. The Dennis yeah. Hopper one. The Dennis Hopper. Yep. Yep. But I mean, like you can see why this would be a good sing along at like fucking stadiums and stuff like that, or like you know music festivals. You know the saws. I mean, it's it's yeah. very catchy. You know, very. Accepted. And then they end it at the the very end of it. The law is the saw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very kind of boneheaded song too. It's very for sure. It's yeah. that's what I mean. It's almost like written just to be like sang along at like concerts or something. It's it it's be- a. I think yeah. Actually, thinking about it now, it's probably it's a proper german like drinking hall anthem yeah because they're yeah. known for you know for for that, that kind of ridiculousness yeah i mean it's like kind of the vakin culture right you exactly know, like, yeah um i mean in a way i said it feels like an exodus meets accept number you know yeah. like it's it's like those yeah. two bands kind of coming together in a weird way and i think here's the other thing i i'm curious when you started to notice it because this is when i start to hear Tom Araya tendencies starting to appear in Tom's vocals. There's definitely some of those. There's some later on ones too, where he's doing more of the, I'm trying to think which records it was when Tom was doing more of like, it was all screamy. It was kind of like, um, God hates us all that era for, yeah. Like, like he was just, he, he didn't really like fluctuate his vocals as much as he had in the past. Yep. Yeah. So, and I know, you know, even in that interview, I just read from, from Tom where he says like, 
I've become like a bigger Slayer fan, like recently, almost like I'm sure he was into Slayer back in the day, but it's almost like as he got older, he started to appreciate Slayer more. And maybe it like kind of just, I don't know, bled into his DNA or, or they just have similar voices to, you know, registers and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Something like, I yeah, I, I definitely picked that up as well. And then the other tune we're here is uh, Stalin Orgel, uh, which is a, kind of punkish fun anthemic album closer that reeks of of tank and motorhead um you know obviously two bands that they they love and well the title also is a based on stalin's organ which is a huge rocket system that looked like a pipe organ yeah yeah exactly it's kind of <laughs> i really, looked it up not, and i was like oh that's kind of insane looking yeah it's not a pro-war tune at all it's kind of more of just a documentation of like the grim realities of the eastern front during world war ii and um yeah, the the Katusha, uh, no, K A T Y U S H A, Katusha rocket launcher, which they called yeah the Stalin organ, pretty pretty nuts. Well, I like how like bass driven this thing is too. Oh, like I said, it's very punky. Yeah. Like I said, the tank kind of motorhead kind of feel to it, and I guess we should mention that like this is the second record in a row with a tank cover. Um, you know, <laughs> better off dead. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. And then also they do fucking Cold Sweat, the Thin Lizzy tune, which is weird. You know, so, I, I enjoy that song. Yeah, oh, I love Cold Sweat. I don't know if I like Sodom's version as much, but it's. I it's, I honestly didn't listen to it, so I will have yeah, to yeah, check uh, it out. See what you think. It's it's cold judgment. You, know, you kind of need you need Phil's vocals for that. Like, there's something about like Phil just kind of like his passion. You know, like the speed and veracity of that song. You know, like yeah, Cold Sweat. Da, da, da. You know, it's like. You want to sing that, and Tom doesn't have that same voice as, as Phil. No, he can definitely like you know bark out stuff fast, but not in the yeah. the same diction, not in that melodic kind of way. No, yeah. And so then you know we we leave Better Off Dead in 1990, and we get to a record that I think is pretty near and dear to you, Mark, which is uh, 92's Tapping the Vein. And Tapping is, the Vein. This is when uh, Tom brings in another new guitar player, uh, Andy Brings uh, is his name, and he kind of really. Hey, uh, I'll, I'll get my thoughts out of the way because I know you have a lot more of them. He, in a way, seems to be responding to the proliferation of death metal that's really kind of starting to hit commercial peaks between, say, 90 and 92. Yeah. Um, as the album's really bathed in a lot of extreme metal tendencies uh, intertwined with kind of thrash, kind of speed metal stuff. And Witch Hunter really steps his game up. Um, you know, you kind of heard, especially in Saw is the Law, you kind of heard some like really pretty good double bass on, on you know, Better Off Dead. But here mm-hmm. it's like, he really goes into it. Um, and I said the record has this fragmented mad scientist of styles approach that, that does work. It, it kind of works for me. But, um, oh, what are your, your what are your thoughts? Because this is a record you've had for a long, long time. Yeah, was a, I mentioned earlier, it was like the first I got, you know, for free. I got, you know, back when they would send you actual CDs to review. What? And I believe it was on, um, it was SPV, but I think they were being distributed by Century Media at the time. Oh, okay. So I got it through them and it, it sat there for quite a while. I thought the cover was just absolutely retarded. It looked so dumb. It was like a, like a very like homoerotic muscle man with <laughs> this, like, yeah. you know, putting, it had some type of, uh, he was like pumping his blood into this gun. I don't, I don't know exactly what was happening there. Uh, but as far as like the production, I think is absolutely for their sound is tremendous. Yeah. So thick. Um, when I, I, when like reading research and stuff for this, I got a lot of the death metal Like people were saying it was a death metal influenced record. I don't hear that at all. You really, um, okay. I'm not sure like what, what, what that, if that's like the, the more like double bass stuff, 
Um, Tom's vocals seem to be kind of real similar. It seems more like like the like pushing the the thrash envelope further. I mean, I get some like kind of death growls from it, but they've always been there. You know, you go yeah, back. Yeah, he's to- had all kinds of different like approaches to that. Um, yeah. Like like there, it's it's all fucking palm muted. There's tons of that. Like the solos are very Hammett, you know, very Metallica ish solos. Um, but the whole and I, mean, I would say I think the record's like probably a little long, but yeah, I agree. I agree. Which but is I kind of a I problem would, with that era. Maybe it toes the line the way. I don't know, like malleus mal malfix fixation or malfixation. Malfixation. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Jeez, I was I was trying to. I don't have it in front of me. Um, like that's like a thrash record that's like into death metal, but like it kind of like intends to be a thrash record, but it's just heavier. I, it's like that's the kind of feeling I get with tapping the vein, where like I don't know, it's a thrash record that maybe like toes up to like death kind of tendencies at times but it's never trying to be a death metal record i don't think yeah it that. didn't feel like they were like with um like some of the testament stuff where they were obviously trying to put some death metal elements into the music this just seemed like it was just kind of like up in the energy yeah a little yeah. bit and uh yeah and there's there's like a lot of it's there's kind of like a lot of tongue-in-cheek goofiness to like lyric stuff in this as well i think but sure. as far as the I guess yeah even like at the the very like the closing you know chorus for tapping the vein he does kind of do like a guttural tapping the vein more so than sure. like his normal kind of screech so i could see that it did it never i never occurred to me at all until reading some stuff up on this i think if you just maybe if you place it in between like better off dead and get what you deserve you can kind of like hear how oh okay this is like well, and i like, didn't have the context for ever hearing i exactly, never heard the exactly. previous records i went straight from um agent orange and this was the next one that i heard yeah so i was like oh this is more kind of you know feels more makes more sense to me yeah i can see that yeah um and i mean in a way like even on the tap the the title trip you kind of hear this kitchen sink approach, you know, um, Tom's more sinister vocals, evil sounding riffs, publing double bass, but it's also textured. Like you said, it's got catchy thrash bounce, you know, because mm-hmm. of like angel rippers kind of bass tones are really fucking killer on the, especially in the title track here. Yeah. Um, and then like I, maybe the band that I think this album is closest to in a weird way, because they sort of toe the line sometimes like I think of like dark angel or like Satis. Um, Like those are both bands that are, I guess, fall into like the thrash vein, but are like right at the edge. Right. Uh, on I could level. definitely speed wise. I could definitely hear some, some dark angel. Yeah. And even like, you know, Satis with like what DiGiorgio and those guys were doing, like, it's not, yeah. it doesn't have the bass playing of that, but that was stuff like hyper fucking fast, you know? Yeah. Um, in a way, like you get to a song like Hunting Season, the second tune we'll hear from from Tapping the Vein. And I said, you know, the riffs on the record really remind me of like Dark Angel or even like what I get is also like violence, like Eternal Nightmare type mm-hmm. riffs. Yeah. Um, it was almost like I, that, whatever you would consider that almost last era of thrash. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, too, because I like this song like has moments where I said, it's almost as if like persecution mania and death leprosy had a child like death leprosy, obviously gore have some thrashy elements to it, but they're just doing a more like, it's just like 
leveled up way beyond obviously but there's yeah. still like crash catchiness on those first two death records and so i don't know i get like i get a little bit of that vibe on it which is is kind of different you know um well there's then, a, one one more thing i had on on tapping the vein was, oh yeah it was goofy but there's like this this tom spot where they keep kind of um this is like repetitious uh tom thing that reminds me of like somebody smacking their arm to put a tourniquet on to tap the vein <laughs> I, okay. I don't know if that was it was almost three in the in the morning when i made that uh observation <laughs> that revelation yeah so, so i don't that i don't know if that was ever intentional but there's a lot of kind of goofy like there's more i don't know it's if I, I don't have written down exactly who the producer was on this one was this the last yeah. one with john's it might be i've got the stack of cds upstairs unfortunately i have them in front of me here i can plug it real quick but it felt like like the the most accurate version of them up to this like for that point in their in their career and yeah. they, they were just more willing to like kind of screw around with uh goofy ideas and stuff too yeah this is harris johns this oh, is his okay. last one with them i believe got it got it that makes sense yeah and so then you know i mean that's uh then we're going to end with a tune that we'll kind of come back to sort of say our goodbyes with, um, you know, for part one here. And it's a, a tune called Silence's Consent from uh, Get What You Deserve from 1994. And we'll kind of wrap up this sort of like early to mid 90s kind of era, which is probably a good stopping point before we kind of uh, kick into, you know, part two of Sodom. So we've got uh, The Saws, The Law and Stalin Organ from Better Off Dead from 1990. Then we got Tapping the Vein and Hunting Season from Tapping the Vein from 92. And then we come back two years later with Silence is Consent from Get What You Deserve.
That was Silence's Consent, Hunting Season, Tapping the Vein, Stalin Orgel, and then we kicked off with The Saw is the Law from Better Off Dead. And uh, yeah, you had one other thing you want to say about Hunting Season before we talk about the the song we just kind of heard there. Oh, this was uh, well a little bit of trivia, which is it's probably common knowledge, but Tom's like his his big hobby is hunting. Oh, so okay. I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming this is, has something to do with that, but it's also another one where like the it was a vocal led hook. Oh, which yeah, yeah. which like kind of bringing more of that stuff back from Persecution Mania, the more traditional songwriting, I guess. Um, but uh, where else did I have? Oh, the the very um, the slower like hooky part totally sounds like some old Finnish death metal riff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I to me, there there was just like there, there there's all kinds of weird shit. You know, I I didn't go back and listen to much of the record, just these couple songs we had, but. Yeah, um, I the previous weeks that we've been talking about this, I've listened to the record many, you know, a bunch of times, but mm-hmm. I could probably have a lot more to say about the record, just like completely off the wall shit. Um, if we were doing a, a proper just this album thing, but sure. uh, it's definitely worth worth revisiting. I think it's it's got more going on um, than Better Off Dead. That's kind of the stinker for me out of the whole group. Is it okay? Yeah. So for me. Uh... Well, there's a couple, but for me, it's these next two records um, that begin kind of for me, like a fallow period for my fandom, you know, witch hunter gets kicked out. So Mm -hmm. I think that's like a real loss. Like for me, witch hunter still makes like better off dead, like in some of the songs on there, like pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's not, it's no agent orange. It's definitely no tapping the vein, you know, but it's like, okay. You know, Um, it's just, yeah, it's a weird, like, I mean, after you hit a certain height, it's tough to do that again. So it's like, it, it makes sense that that's probably not the strongest record. But like Get What You Deserve and Masquerade and Blood in 94, 95, those are my probably least listened to albums. I'm not going to say they're the worst. They're just the records I know the least amount about. Like I just, I've never owned them per se. Yeah. Um, whereas like starting with Till Death Do Us Unite, like I own everything pretty much from that point on, I think except maybe one record from like 97 on. So yeah, you know, it's just it's it's maybe more of just like I just don't own it, you know. And I think Masquerade and Blood, I don't think is on Spotify, so that's another reason why, like, because I either's don't own it. Uh, Agent Orange. Yeah, again, that's weird. That's like, weird I don't. One. I, mean, well, I, I had to listen to it on YouTube. Yeah, so so it is it's you know so it's not naturally like easy for me when I'm going through their catalog to like spend some time on on that record, you know, as much. And um, I'm I'm also coming at it from a point of like, does this sound like Sodom to me? I'm becoming because the the you know the music's not overly crazily different but like yeah. when they get a new producer sometimes the producer really gets where they're what they're trying to do and sometimes they have they just fall on their face and they're trying yeah. to like think what they want them to be or something but well and like you know witch hunter gets kicked out um and then they bring in a guy called atomic steve uh who played with holy moses and living death he replaces mm-hmm. and um you know the one thing i'll say about get what you deserve is like it's got like a more of a punky kind of loose kind of uh there there are a couple like death metal tendencies that still carry over from tapping the vein i guess but it's got like a lot of groove metal um yes i would agree with that totally which is you know a sign of the times you know 94 i mean that's kind of you know pantera and white zombie are kind of at their peak of their powers and stuff but it was even like some suicidal tendencies kind of stuff going on uh throughout the record at times and so like i don't know it's it's just not like um 
an era that I spend a lot of time with. And it's kind of where we, we end this kind of part one with is, is these kind of two albums that I don't know if you have strong feelings either way about like masquerade and blood either, but like, again, it's not super memorable. The title track here, it's, it's fine. It's heavier, groovier. It's very pretty. It's, it's very mid nineties, you know, it's just mid nineties metal to me. Yeah. I've got, you know, groove metal vibe. There's a, the, I think the, the productions just sounds weird to me. I mean, the, probably the best thing about it's the Andreas Marshall cover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and some of those, like, you know, Sodom has a lot of covers, but some of them, like, so, and the funny thing is some of my favorite Sodom covers are way later in their career, which is, you know, the last couple I think were, were fantastic. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like, I don't know, it's, I'm trying to think here. I've got, I've got this quote from Terrorizer from the, the Napalm Death kind of issue where, um, you know, I, the one thing I'll say about this era is I'll give Sodom credit in this era. They didn't compromise their sound at all. And, you know, that that counts for a lot with many of their contemporaries, right? Sure. Like a lot of people in this era put out stinkers. And here's the thing. Get what you deserve. Masquerade and Blood are not stinkers. They're they're pretty good metal records. They're just not my favorite Sodom. You know if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, because there's you've got a lot of pretty you got a lot of highs and stuff that's just kind of like genre defining to to work with. So you're, you're yeah, definitely going to have ups and downs. And I guess as we kind of wrap up, you know, part one here um, and kind of say our goodbyes or whatever, I'll, I'll sort of end with this uh, from that terrorizer. Um, it says, you know, they kind of talk about, uh, I'll share the the part about kind of coma of souls and creator just above. He says, uh, this is Millie kind of setting some context. He says, we started the band as teenagers. Our whole musical career up to coma of souls was done in that very early period in our lives. I was 23 years old when I recorded that album. I was still in the very beginning of my musical journey. If you think about it, the reaction I had at the time was to try new things. I wanted to explore, to go deeper, to be more ambitious, do something that no one had done before. I was a little bored with our style. And so we came up with renewal which sounded absolutely right for us. Obviously, some fans were really concerned and many of them still have trouble with that album today, but that's something that I totally understand. But the thing is, I am positive that we hadn't done those more experimental albums in the 90s, we would not be here now. It was absolutely necessary for the band to keep going. If we would have just done more albums in the same style again, if we had done gone for another Coma of Souls or another Extreme Aggression, I don't think I would have been able to keep the band going for much longer. I had the need to explore things and that's what I did. I was being true to myself. There was never any plan to become more popular, sell more records or whatever. These records all came from the heart, just like any other. Sodom, on the other hand, said, fuck it all and just charged ahead. <laughs> Quote, I think the record company started having some trouble as the digital age approached, but there was never any problem for us. A lot of bands started to get more commercial or changing their sound, but we just chose to become heavier than ever. And I think that was absolutely the right way to go, Tom explains. We love our fans and they're everything to us, but we've always done most music strictly for ourselves. It doesn't matter how many people buy the album or how many people come to the shows. So it made sense for us to go this way. Strahi was one of the heaviest guitarists I ha ever had in the band, for instance. We never looked to other bands, to the scene, or to any reviews and magazines for ways to move the band forward. We just kept making music for ourselves and as a consequence to our fans as well. Record companies have always told us that we need to change this or change that, that times are different and that we need to keep up, be more melodic, but no, just no. So there you go. Tom says it best. So just kind of stay the course. It makes sense for Mila as well. Like Coma yeah. Souls was kind of like injustice. Yeah. Like, where, where could you go with their sound at that point? Yeah. 
But they could have gone like they could have gone further extreme too. They didn't have to do whatever renewal was. I mean, the worst part, I haven't listened to it in years, but the vocals were what really got me. Like they, they were so bad because Miller can't sing like a traditional singer. He's got a very specific, you know, delivery. And when he tried to do that, whatever the other take was like his almost alternative rock take on vocals or something. It's just, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know if I've ever listened to Oliver Newell before because you guys just always told me to avoid it. Oh man. I remember buying it. Cause I, I love the cover. I thought the cover was really cool. That praying mantis and shit on it. Uh huh. And then listening yeah, to it, I just could not cool get color. over the how bad the vocals were. So I don't really remember like much the, about it except that I hated it. <laughs> the cover always kind of reminded me a little bit, like maybe it's just the color scheme and the artist style of Draconian cover, sort of. I think it's, um, I don't know if it's Dave McKean or not. Probably not. McKean did uh, the other Paradise Lost cover. He did Shades of God. Yeah. I don't know who painted Draconian, but it almost seems like the guy that did Renewal. But yeah, well, Draconian know. was um, it was a photo. Oh yeah, that's right. But isn't there like painting on the photo or or something? The weird color scheme. There's uh, like photo like gels that they used over the top. No, there's there's a lot of compositing of of photography. Got it. Got it. Okay. And the same like that's that's one of my the most consistent eras of their like we, that and like the sweetness EP and. Like yeah. some of that stuff. And then even before that with icon that all that stuff was very like, you know, classical looking very cultivated. Yeah. 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 And it looked so like my favorite napalm death era is all that mid era stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Where it was just like this very specific stuff like where they had three, uh, you know, a couple of EPs and, um, harmony is probably my least favorite of that era. But they, they just had a lot of just like really iconic, at least stuck with me as re- being really iconic. Of the covers <clears throat> and the artistic style, you mean? Yeah, because none of the nobody really kept an artist that much. Like the what the hell was the guy? I'm trying to think of the dude that did um, most of the early creator stuff. Because oh. I think he did everything. I think he Is that even Andreas did, Marshall didn't Andreas no. Marshall do all that? No, it was uh, no, it was a different dude. I'd have to look. I remember we talked about him at some point, but I I didn't realize how prolific he was. Well, we did like a Patreon episode where we looked at like uh, metal artists. I remember. Maybe oh, yeah. That's what I can't remember which artist. We talked was. about him and like Larry Carroll, I think, at the same time, the Slayer dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> but yeah, so this is a, you know, it's kind of anticlimactic way to end the episode because it's probably the least strong uh, period of Sodom, but that should whet the appetite for part two because of the comeback, because this is a band that uh, kind of finds a, a new vitality as the the 90s end and the 2000s kick off especially with records like code red and m16 and, and stuff kind of moving forward so uh there's a lot to look forward to for people that are not uh well versed in sodom but if you are uh, it's going to be fun uh to sort of play around in part two and we'll uh we'll read the letters from people in, at the end of part two because uh, it'll be a much shorter episode i imagine because there's not as much scholarship that we have to kind of get into and all that yeah um but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, letters and, and feedback on recent episodes. We love hearing that stuff. 
Um, you know, if you can go on Spotify, uh, on uh, Apple Music and, and write us a review, leave us a five-star rating, uh, all that kind of stuff really helps uh, kind of bump us up a little bit. You can shoot us an email at uh, requiempodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, get a hold of us, leave comments on Facebook, uh, Mark and Jay- or Jason and Mark on Facebook. Um, you can get a hold of us on Twitter uh, at Requiem, uh, at Podcast Requiem. Um, or you can just look up Requiem Metal Podcast. Also on Instagram, you know, all those sort of places. And I, uh, I try and accumulate that stuff when people send it and take screenshots and things like that. But I probably missed something, so uh, my apologies. It has been a, <laughs> been a couple months of accumulating some things. But um, you have to you know, print them out, otherwise I forget. Yeah, I should do that. I do. Oh, I got um, I got a new printer at my house, so now it's a Bluetooth one. So nice. now I can actually print shit at my house now instead of just waiting to do it at school. But um, yeah, if you want to become a patron, if you like what uh, we do, you appreciate all the research and all the time and energy that we put into kind of doing this stuff and you want to give back a little bit, we really do appreciate that. It's, it's super awesome. And like I said, we're going to be recording an exclusive episode here pretty soon. Uh, we usually do best of shows and a couple others throughout the year. Uh, we'd like to get a little bit better at it. But we also do these epic fucking long ass uh, real episodes. So it kind of has eaten into some of our Patreon stuff. And most of our patrons don't care that much. But because of the patience of waiting for a couple months, uh, not canceling your Patreon. Uh, well, that's I think been very, you know, that's been awesome that, that people yeah. have you know, stuck by us, but I think we, we proved ourselves pretty good in the last couple of years. Yeah. I hope people know we're, we're definitely, and it's not not because we're, you know, we're, we're bored or something. It's like, we've had a lot of life changes and, uh, every once in a while you need to get, take a break and recharge. Well, it's funny. I had these Sodom notes written like three or four weeks ago because I think there was a point where we we're going to maybe try and do it like at the end of June, right when I got from Spain, but then shit just got too crazy for you. So we're like, oh, let's just put it on pause, you know? So yeah, I didn't. I had to pull my notes out again and like revisit them. Like, okay, what the fuck did I write down like a month ago? You know? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, again, to our new patrons, uh, Michael Held, uh, Roop Groove, uh, Fripe Pearson, uh, John Burkhold, Daniele Petro. Uh, we do really appreciate uh, that. And if you want to become a Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Requiem Podcast, or you can go to requiemmetal.com, uh, our website. Uh, and there is a basically a Patreon link right directly from our website that you can kind of go. There is merch there. Uh, we always forget. I think Mark and I's plan sometime, although he he's pretty busy with life shit, but is to you know maybe do some updated t-shirts and, and things like that uh, down the road. Um, well, I was thinking of doing because right now it's like a it's a fulfillment thing, you know, like a lot of people yeah, use. Yeah. And I'd, I'd rather just do it where we like offer the patrons like, Hey, anybody that's interested, here's the, you know, the designs. So, and then we get some sizes and, and counts, and then we do some little bit extra and then we, whatever we saw, we saw, and yeah. don't have to worry with the third party. Cause it's just, it's just, it'd be cheaper for people to buy them and we'd get more direct money too. Yeah. Like we and could I think- pay it off easy. Well, and we want to, uh, send out shirts to some of the people who've been interviewed. I know. You yeah, know, and stuff like absolutely. Wrap it a little bit and stuff like that. So, uh, definitely. But, uh, yeah, we'd love uh, for people to become Patreons and, uh, you know, if you want to get some, uh, some Requiem podcast shirts or, uh, grocery bags and some other things like that, go to <laughs> requiemmetal.com, uh, and you can click on, uh, the link for that as well. And, uh, again, if you haven't gone back through our feed lately, um, our whole feed is updated thanks to Jordan Bondo. So you can find all 300 plus episodes of Rec- 
Requiem. You can go back, listen to old episodes from 2008, 2009, where we didn't do as much research and we're just kind of flying off the cuff. But hey, you know what? It's kind of fun. So there you go. Well, they're all remastered yeah. uh, with show notes. Yeah. We're, we're, we're found. He, Jordan did a hell of a job. God damn, man. What a, what a great guy. So appreciate that, Jordan. So, but yeah, so we're going to end things with uh, Masquerade and Blood, the title track from 1995's uh, Sodom Record. And we'll be back uh, very, very soon with the comeback uh, with Sodom Part 2, uh, just starting our international thrash series here. And of course, starting in Germany. So for Masquerade and Blood, Sodom Part 1, uh, again, thank you to Tom Angel Ripper for the interview stuff. We'll hear some more clips from him in Part 2. But for all of all that stuff, uh, I'm Jason. And I'm Mark.
Get your 